0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily discussed
1: Welcome, friends, to this, the With Gorley and Rust uh, podcast, where we'll be covering Silver Bullet. (laughs) Why was that so hard for me to get out, Paul? (laughs) I thought it was perfect. I was far from perfect,
2: which... You know what, we could... That's uh, my brand. Maybe we said, uh, 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 no, it's far beyond perfect, (laughs) is is your brand. Uh, 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 Maybe in unison... (laughs) We can say, uh, and it's. I'll go, and it's the. And then we go, spring king fling. I, I, like I think this. that sort of showbiz opening. I would like be that. Really cool. All right, and you know, it's the spring,
1: spring king, king fling. fling. Wow, you said it. That's what this is.
2: I <laughs> like how it turned into a like the Wheel of Fortune <laughs> audience uh, crowd cheer, as opposed to the uh, just. Two dudes did it.
0: It's better having that. <laughs> uh, what if
1: Spring King Fling was on an episode of of um, Wheel, like Wheel of Fortune, Fortune? Like they that's and someone got it right away. Oh, Spring King Fling.
2: Yeah. I mean, we watched we all listened to the podcast and Pat yeah. Sajak's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say, what if they did a whole Spring King <sighs> Fling themed Wheel of Fortune? You know, like Pat Sajak is like, just like Stephen King and yes. uh, Cujo is one of the contestants.
1: They could do a Jeopardy category of that. And there is that wonderful mm-hmm. Jeopardy writer who's a big podcast fan and will f- occasionally feature podcasts as categories or questions. Because oh. Super Ego and I was there too. We're both no kidding Jeopardy'd questions or answers. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's
2: really cool. Like, yeah. uh And are they like. Questions and answers, or does sometimes uh, are there just little Easter eggs? Like you
1: don't have you don't have to have known the podcast, so it'd be like um, you know, was it just like Sigmund Freud popularized the uh, the id, the ego, and the which is also takes its or its inspiration comes from there for the com- improvised comedy podcast? Well, yeah. th-
2: that's more than an Easter egg. That's a shout out. If anything, promotion. I think
1: his name is Mark Gaberman, and, and hey. if you're listening, Mark. I don't know how you work with Gorley and Russ Spring King fling into a Jeopardy answer, but I look forward to it.
2: Well, M A M G, much appreciated, Mark Gaberman. <laughs> I thought you met me, Matt Gorley. <laughs>
0: oh my gosh,
2: that's another thing that was in the stars that you two, that would happen. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I once worked somewhere in a in an office uh, where around we shared office space. Um, with, uh, uh, um, Milton. No, I'm kidding. That'd be silly. That's like from the movie. No, we shared, uh, office. What? With Dilbert? Yeah, with Dilbert and Dewey. (laughs) And Kathy. And, oh, everybody, the whole gang. Marmaduke, too. (laughs) And we went into the, uh, oh, but just around the corner was the Wheel of Fortune, like, staff, uh, uh prop room something like you would kind of see like um what are those boards it's kind of like what you got set up here where you can like slice easily oh a cutting board (laughs)
0: yes
2: (laughs) why don't they call it the cut easily board I mean, you might not be wrong, bit.
1: though, because there's a food cutting board, and that could get confusing.
2: Yeah. Well, this was for, yeah, uh, Wheel of Fortune oh. uh, items. It was pretty cool to just peek in. And I thought you were going to say it was
1: the, like, prop closet for when – do you remember on Wheel of Fortune when they used to superimpose the head floating in the corner of the person that just won the last round while the camera – like Lit kind over of loaded all through the prizes and the person would just be like, I'll take one of those. I'll take one of those. I'll take the Amana four-star range. Yes. I'll take the uh, the Krups mixer Ugh. and the Honda moped.
2: <laughs> it was very satisfying. Yeah. And I remember a lot of like lattice work.
1: Yes. Yeah. You're not wrong. Lattice work with like a powder blue gradient Grim behind yes. it, Cyclorama, and like Ivy on the lattice, perhaps.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ivy on the white lattice, <laughs> yeah. perhaps, perhaps. You, what's that? Well, I was just going to say, it's
1: kind of similar to the feeling I get with this movie we're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's got similar time era. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, I associate. Um, the wheel of fortune the floating head above the showcase uh showdown i know that's prices right but yeah. like whatever that is yeah. um with the smell of food cooking and the sun kind of just starting to go down cuz it was
1: on at like 5 or 5:30 yep. right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah
2: and a lot of times it's maybe like summertime yeah so it's not like close to darkness it's just this feeling of like oh we're creeping into evening yeah. now and uh Gotta say, it's way more comforting than that effing theme to MASH. Oh, yeah. Having to hear that when the sun's going down. Well, we
1: didn't have MASH at that time of day. We had it,
2: I don't know when, but we did have
1: Jeopardy and and Mm Wheel of Fortune
2: late. When were your MASH reruns? Ours were kind of like after the local news. If but, you know, if Jeopardy were, and Wheel that Fortune of Fortune was before the news. This was maybe like you might be right. Actually, the buffer between the news and the, the mash like, hour. time. Yeah, mash hour.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. Hey, <laughs> what we're talking about here is the real deal. You tried
2: is- to dovetail it to the discussion, to the topic at hand, no, and I got- can't do that. Uh, but yes uh, we're talking we're talking Silver Bullet 1985 Silver Ooh, Bullet yeah
1: written by the screenplay written by Stephen King based on a novella which was itself was based on an interesting concept I'm sure we'll talk about mm-hmm. let's get a little bit of business out of the way yes okay first of all Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a while, but we've got some new merch available. And Ooh. it is the Shining Poster Spring King Fling Fun. available. Just look in the show notes to this episode, but it's also uh, Redbubble. You can just search with Gorley and Rust. It'll come up. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust, where you get mailbag episodes. We just recorded one of those. We just recorded yeah. the Gremlins 2 yes. commentary. We've got a Cozy Bracket episode coming yeah. up probably right after this series. Oh, my goodness. So these films will all be fodder for the 2022 cozy bracket. And
2: there's been some cozies so far, just a couple big cozy contenders.
1: These, these first two are huge cozies and (laughs) I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this. Franchise to possibly be the cozy champ in terms of cozy consistency, cozy consistency.
2: Oh my gosh! Uh, imagine just being in a cabin with Kathy Bates taking care of you the whole winter.
1: Breaking your leg. What's more cozy than Kathy Bates breaking your leg?
2: <laughs> Bathy Kate's
1: shaking your leg. Breaking your brag?
2: I oh my god! I, uh, 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 when you said breaking legs, I just thought of uh, theater. Yes, you know you'd say break a leg. Sure. But remember, a couple of years ago, they or a few years ago, they did on Broadway "Misery," the play with oh, Laurie right. Metcalf. And Bruce Willis, do you think before they went on stage? Wait, I
1: didn't know Bruce Willis was Oh, that. that
2: has its own <gasps> lore. Oh, my God. Uh, but I just wanted to say, do you think before the show, <laughs> they, like, winked at each other. She was like, break a leg. He's like, oh, I'm you break a leg, and I know you will. I,
1: I bet what happened is some, like, stagehand thought of it first, and Bruce was about to go on, and Mr. Willis, break a leg. And he just goes, thank you. And then, like, then it hits him, the joke, and he goes... And gave him that little, like, side smirk, ah. just a little, and that's the nicest Bruce Willis has been to anyone in 33 years.
0: <laughs>
2: and then, right before he stepped on stage, he thought of the like add on to what the guy said, and he just kind of softly says, as he's walking on, of, he goes, That's her job. <laughs> and the stage goes, What? He's like, I gotta get on stage.
1: Or he just walks on stage and goes, yippee, guy, motherfucker. It's what people want.
2: The lore is, is oh, he goodness. um didn't have his lines memorized.
1: No shit.
2: Yeah. And so there's some funny stories about Laurie Metcalf having to prompt him on stage with lines and and, and such. I can't uh, believe,
1: like, she's one of our greatest actors, and he's you one know, of our laziest, laziest, yeah, and yeah. and kind of. Just a shadow of his former self. He was mm. great at one time, but
2: yeah. I can't
1: imagine the chemistry between the two. Like It must be virtually non-existent, all due to him.
2: You know, it's totally a case study in my little theory, Matt, which what? is as male actors age, they get more generally than not, more often than not, lazier. And female actors, uh, their performances become more dimensional and maybe it's because yeah. the roles become Probably. different at a certain age. Probably. But uh I don't know. I just feel like you see people give a shit. Uh, uh, more female actors, more than hundred percent. That being said, <laughs> just in my experience uh, on, on set witnessing things, you know, yeah. but whatever, what were you going to say? I said that
1: a hundred percent agree. That being said, I would love to see this production. I want to see Lori Metcalf on her best day and Bruce Willis on his worst day.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: Well, obviously if uh, there's ever uh some, some sort of hole in the space time yeah. continuum. Oh, I got one the or the first place we'll go yeah. is opening night of misery on that old Broadway. Broadway.
1: Oh, I would kill.
2: <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I wouldn't even roll up my playbill in my hand because I'd want to keep it nice and flat for their autographs by the stage door.
1: Do you think it was a Hirschfeld cover?
2: Uh, they, before he died, they're like, <laughs> sir, before you die, you just have to do the playbill. Cover for but it's misery. not
1: even in development. It, this was what we need to get it started. <laughs> it's got to be Willis and Metcalf
2: together All again. of our funding is based on you doing this. <laughs> um, but yes, the, uh, oh, oh, an other business. Yes. Your right. band Townland is is going up the charts with the bullet, my friend. People got to check out this new album.
1: Oh, thank you, friend. And coming from you... Well, uh, well no,
2: but spectacular reviews all around. People are loving the album. People, uh, <sighs> it, it's it's hitting not just America,
1: the globe. It's just an easy listening ride. If you want to go on a journey, go to Spotify, go to Bandcamp. I'm not going to... Hey,
2: hey, uh, hey, hey, who wouldn't want to go on, a, on an easy journey during all caps these times. times
1: spring fling 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 look i i've forced myself to do some promotion on this album which i i just do with uh, like holding my nose in any sense with things i, yeah. I usually just retweet and stuff like that because i just don't feel comfortable doing I understand. It. this one i've embraced and i'm sorry if it's been a lot but yeah check it out uh, you
2: gotta do it and uh, no apologies necessary i
1: feel i feel it i feel like that's all i do mm-hmm. no
2: Okay. There no, no. Hey, uh, Coca-Cola, we love to drink it, but they also have to advertise them, true.
1: That's true. This <laughs> is the Coca-Cola. But did I mention this is the greatest podcast ever made? <laughs>
2: yes. Were you going to say it's the Coca-Cola podcast? It's the Coca-Cola podcast. Well,
1: last episode, I did mistakenly say, but I now stand by it, that this is the greatest podcast ever made. Something else I mistakenly said, speaking of business, that I have to, corrections department.
2: Corrections, uh-huh.
1: I said, remember last episode when I was talking about the Ninja Turtles and how Amanda oh, wrote for... Yes. I didn't talk about that on this podcast, but the problem is I do so many podcasts a week. I had done it on Bananas for Bonanza.
2: I saw so, this get kind of worked out yes. on the Patreon. Yes, yeah. yes. So I apologize. Oh, well, that's nice and of you to the,
1: say, the, but you the, don't the have to Long apologize. story short, in case I didn't cover it last week, I was just on the heels of it, was that Amanda... My wife wrote for the Michael Bay produced CG Ninja Turtles movie and always cracked me up because she she doesn't know anything about Ninja Turtles and pitched a joke as meaning shredder, she said, and then Schneider says.
0: <laughs>
1: so that's why I asked her those things yesterday to yes. follow up on it. I mean, last episode. Well,
2: so. now, oh, but well, now, uh, yeah, no, uh, I was just uh, um, relieved. I seriously, I was like, holy crap, what, what has happened to my – brain that i because it, it is such a funny anecdote of uh of encountering michael bay and having to pitch to him alone so i couldn't believe that i had somehow
1: well um, i do these podcasts and they're all here they're in so base just the like same thing.
2: visually everything i'm
1: caught in a yeah. causal loop that
2: it's also in your home yeah uh i get out of my house and i come here so that also kind of changes things up for me right. i can imagine how yeah if i was uh I mean, I spend 98% of my time at home. The 2% is here or uh, others.
1: We are actually indoors now. We've moved indoors feeling like hopefully, knock on wood, this will be the way it can stay. No more trucks beeping up or dogs on roofs or anything like that.
2: I like that neighbor who would uh crawl up under a roof with a dog underneath his arm. I'm and just place realizing
1: him. this was another podcast I'm mixing up. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but there literally is when we record in the back part, sometimes a dog will come up on the roof ah! over there and just peek over the fence on a roof. We don't know how it gets
2: up there. <laughs> well that's a that's a bonus as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's like a um if a. uh That'd be like a fun next door neighbor, like Wilson type in Home Improvement.
1: Oh, like Like I go get advice from that dog? Yeah, yeah, I don't know, I'm a dog. I don't know people's emotions. (laughs) You're talking though.
0: I am?
2: I guess, yeah, maybe it's like a a son of Sam situation where maybe Uh, it's you just hearing a dog's bark. (laughs) Maybe
1: it's only me seeing the dog. I'm worried about me is the point. So don't doubt yourself and far as memory goes. <laughs> it's clearly me. No,
2: it, it's totally understandable why, why that happened. Well, um, and, uh, uh, man is right. Schneider's name should be Schneider.
1: I do agree That's with that. Cool. Schneider from one day at a time. Yeah. Old Pat Harrington one with the denim vest.
2: And he should be voiced. No, no, no. Who is the, the door man was Lorenzo music.
1: Oh, from Mary Tyler Moore.
2: Uh, right. Uh, yeah, sorry. So, the same well, guy
1: who did Garfield, right? yeah, yeah. I'm just
2: saying he should do the voice of Shredder I, I lo- <laughs> in some universe. <laughs> I think that that
1: would be so great. <laughs> and he looks like Schneider from one day at a time, but he's still got like the robe and the cane, <laughs> yes. And then he's got the denim vest on top of the robe. <laughs> yeah, speaking of vests, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we have got a little more business, but sure. just the fact that Gary Busey is wearing a Hawaiian shirt vest.
2: Did you catch that in this? Yeah, I saw something Hawaiian. I didn't know it was a vest. He had ripped sleeves
1: off and he was wearing a t-shirt. And on top of that, he had a Hawaiian shirt with no sleeves, ripped at the sleeves, unbuttoned like a vest.
2: That is really cool. It's and brilliant. summer is coming up and that's going to be the style. I think that's got to be it. The we, it style. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Esquire's already calling it the it style <laughs> of summer 22 2 uh, um, I have some thoughts on that Hawaiian shirt. It's good to know good. that it was like shirts cut off because, yeah, yeah, when we get to it, I'll, I'll share these birdied Hawaiian shirt thoughts. Okay, great. All right. The uh, last bit of business here yes. is that
1: we're just going to read a few Xenomorph names. Oh, of course. Now. These are the subscribers of the Patreon at the highest level. Therefore, they get their names yeah, right. So and if we you need your you. name read, email us at rust at gmail.com. So, the first is Anthony King. Um, after that is Matt Courtney. Then comes at- Aram Freeman. Um. But this person, Bruce Ryan, wants his name read by either Will Smith or Southern Lawyer. So, Bruce Ryan, I'm going to take it over, give it to Will, and see if he'll read it.
2: Will? He just mouthed it. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. He's got to save his voice for his Oscar acceptance speech. I'm hearing things, Will. I'm hearing good buzz.
1: Do you need a plus two to the Oscars?
2: (laughs) David (laughs) Spalding? If we were on each arm of Will Smith walking down the red carpet to the Oscars, (laughs) oh, the wings that would be flipped. (laughs) And finally, create till death. Hey, all right. Hey, nice reading of those names, Gorley. Hey, thanks.
1: Nice listening of those names. (laughs) We are done with business. We are all about the pleasure.
2: (laughs) And no mixing of – yeah. No. Some people, they say, they like to mix business with pleasure. Not us. No, Uh, We're more like offspring. You got to keep them separated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jumping all over the place with dumb references. Um, That just by saying them means they're inherently funny, Matt. I don't know if you do that. So, Silver Bullet. Headline thoughts, my man. What do you think? This is really my first time seeing it. (sighs) Number one. Wait, it's your first time? Well my memory is i had some very close friends growing up when i uh and i think when i was like in 6th or 7th grade it was played on a vhs tape that they had taped off a of cinemax the same people who i the friend and brother who my first slasher ever i watched friday the 13th wow, part 8 these
1: guys are real gatekeepers
2: to you huh? well and then uh uh um yeah and then they because they had cinemax so we could watch jason takes manhattan and uh taped off and then watch during daytime while we're like goofing (laughs) off (laughs) you know like i wasn't really invested in the movie there's two things i remembered about the movie and that stayed with me but uh uh so really truly kind of the first time, this but
1: seems we- like it's up your alley. Why?
2: What? Well, what do you? I, it just seems like, and I loved this movie. I like loved number it too. one with a
1: silver bullet. <laughs> this is a cozy goddamn movie. Whew, I don't know. It just seems to have not? the perfect mix. For I imagine, I for some reason thought you had seen this movie mm-hmm. a lot as a kid, and I imagined you watching it because it's got a lot to interest kids. It's a mm-hmm. really good gateway horror movie for, yes. ch- for children. People often ask us on the mailbag, like, what's the first horror movie you should show a kid? Obviously, this one has a lot of gore in it. So
2: No, but it's good because there's no um, – not that nudity in itself is a bad thing, but there's no sexual-related violence no. where, like – You equate one with the other in your brain, or something. Yeah, it's
1: not even really human-related violence. It's monster, monster.
2: So not yeah, and then it has two kids at the center. When you're a kid, you love watching a movie with a kid with kids.
1: I mean this in a good way. This movie struck me as a almost like an after-school special (laughs) for adults with a horror twist.
2: Yeah, so that's a very that's a perfectly apt description of what that was because it does have like a very. I liked how wholesome it was really at its wholesome. like, center. That, yeah. like, I mean, there's a part where Corey Hayes' character, Marty, says, I like school. I know. Because, like, that is the most wholesome kid who's existed yeah. in movies since, like, I mean, even the dead-end kids or something didn't like school. <laughs> this kid likes school. And then um, Gary Busey is such a lovable, kind, wholesome uncle. The movie ends on three characters I love so much. Three kids, basically. Yes. Yes. It might've been as well as like a cover of a Hardy Boys or something where the Hardy Boys uncle comes and visits and helps them out.
1: They are so wholesome. And yet like he's an alcoholic. There's (laughs) lots of F words. There's tons of gore, but it's also so fake looking. It's almost even the, all the adult themes in this are almost like, how a kid would do them, and I mean that in a good way of like, like this is how adults cuss, fuck.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh, It's so funny. Like, there's kids directing it in between <laughs> takes. They walk over and I'm like, I'd add a couple more fucks in, God damn it. <laughs> and goddammit. Like, this ain't okay, sure.
1: No Bugsy Malone. We're gonna say fuck.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a reverse Bugsy Malone where yeah. it's kids directing <laughs> adults. <laughs> That would be amazing. Oh, boy, would it oh ever. Oh, my God. I mean, maybe if you had, like, a light chaperone hand on set just yeah. to make sure Well, the tutor are... has to be there. Yes, yes. But other than that, it's the kids calling the shots. It'd be so funny. Even
1: down to the studio exec with a cigar. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the, the the studio exec kid gets handed a script for a rom-com, and he's like, I like it. Where are the lizards? <laughs> oh, okay, we got to add giant lizards again for- <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no dinosaurs uh, But yeah uh, And I don't ask this just to be flattered about my taste But why did you think I would like the, Or it that this is up my alley I
1: think it just has a sort of like relatable It just has a like playfulness It's kind of Slightly winking, it knows mm-hmm. what it is, but at the same time, it has a, like it has equal parts sincerity and and tongue in cheek. Yeah, that was like a really nice mix. At in any other yeah. film, I might say, "Ooh, those tones are at odds with each other." Yeah, I think when you get these like really shaky effects, but then like sincere performances. Yeah, I don't know. There no. is something like this should not work. This should not have. Yeah, really worked, no, but it really worked for me.
2: Yeah, I, the sincerity is what I. I remember thinking that word for Corey Hayes' yeah. performance. I was just yeah. like, the genuine, earnest sincerity of his performance, sure. But, you know, with child actors, it's basically like who they are and the camera capturing like the lightning and the bottle yeah. of this, like, kind of charismatic person right and so you're just like oh this is who that's Corey Haim, yeah because he did uh, uh, uh um it's gonna license, call it chester
1: license to drive no uh, uh rudy?
2: where he's the rudy it, it's like rudy lucas lucas
1: that's right sean astin was Rudy.
2: well two syllables second letter is you yeah. i understand I, football 100 uh but lucas he's like a just a sweetheart kid in that too. Yeah. And, you know, we could talk about Corey Hame's like. Unfortunate arc. Yeah. One of them is that like, I really like Corey Hame, Corey Feldman. I think like. I uh, do too. They're like, and to watch their movies are just like really, It's why watching Friday the 13th movies are interesting. You're just like, whoa, what a snapshot of a time. But yeah. like, um, when he, somewhere after Lost Boys, he started doing Corey Hayes started doing this like uh to quote your Bruce Willis describe like this kind of semi smirt the whole time or like mm. wise ass and sometimes his goodness would kind of come out but it's not there anymore and it's a little sad or it
1: does does that as he became a teen idol in all the magazines and mm. stuff and that like I think whether he even knew he was doing that it could have been almost that he's like this is what I'm supposed to do because I'm now a Sean Cassidy or something yeah. Like.
2: I mean, the teen idol thing, I know it happens on some level now, but that was such a machine. Yeah, man. At that time period, that was just chewing people up and spitting it out. I don't know if it's because it's the highest level that boomers were having, adolescents who were gobbling up teen idols. Because if you think about like, I mean, it sort of ended, I feel like, maybe I'm just projecting my own childhood, but I feel like it kind of ended with like 90210 or that saturation of like, Teen idol and mass media would kind of like, yeah, cross over because, like, you think about like, so Michael J. Fox is like the prime of that, right? He's like right. TV and movie star, gigantic yeah. megastar. But then, like, that machine kind of gobbles up like Kirk Cameron and Scott Bayo and uh, the Coreys. It's yeah. like,
1: New Kids on the Block
2: was, yeah. And obviously all – not obviously and not all of them, but so many of those stories have sexual abuse wrapped around them that just like it, you see how these people who – the whole reason people got on board with them as performers is because they have such a like a a true likeness about them. Yeah. And then it gets like gobbled up and twisted. It's so sad. I know.
1: I mean, just getting all this stuff out of the way, we might as well as that – like the fact that Corey Haim died I think when he was 38 – and the guy that plays Brady died at 39. Whoa. And I tried to find info on how he died. His obituary just says that he passed away of natural causes in his sleep. Hmm. But what natural causes kill a 39-year-old in their sleep? Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. I don't know. It's sad.
2: Yeah. Uh... Hmm. The reason there's a long silence is, like, I want to make a joke about him getting attacked by a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's
1: enough to explain it.
2: (laughs) Okay. I just, like, I felt eventually, I'm like, well, I got to just say what's in my heart and say, like, this is what's happening to my mind right now. I don't want to do it. But that's, (laughs) like, why there's a silence right now. I'm sorry. Well, I'm going to even be, like, coy. So I'm sorry. I, like, that's just... Where oh, no, where I was fine. at that moment, Gorley. Full it. transparency. We're all on the <laughs> we're all on the couch listening to each
1: other in this podcast.
0: <laughs>
1: um, they, so you have. Corey Haim, and I forget who plays his sister, her name, but yeah. we should mention that for this episode and hopefully upcoming, we have a researcher for the show, Yeah, Brantley Palmer, and he has been nice enough to do a little research on these movies and send
2: it to us. He just reached out. We didn't request yeah. it or anything. It was just uh, nice.
1: Took him up on his offer to try it out, and he sent us this wonderful page of... Of facts and they're more they go way deeper than IMDB would go, which yeah, is. Yeah, there's footnotes. Yeah, I know, they're sourced. Yeah, there's we're and excited. He was saying how that Corey Heyman, the girl that plays his sister, were like super great and professional and so easy to work with, but that that Gary Busey was like dealing with a child on set.
2: Oh. However, my the goodness.
1: director Dan Adius loved all his improvisations and and would and you can tell Gary Busey is improvising especially in that first scene with the card playing and stuff and he's just going to Busey town <laughs>
2: insane would you take me to Busey town he is really going to Busey town that when i read the research it is so you could just imagine that's it mm-hmm. it's like the kids are like totally on their marks before they call action it's like gary <laughs> Gary, quit pretending to shake hands with the tree branch. We got it. <laughs> it is funny. It is funny. But we got <laughs> Gary. It's curfew
1: in Bucy Town. Lights out.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, those ad libs are pretty incredible, and it's kind of weird how they fit hand in glove with like. You know, the script is written by Stephen King, but the stuff he's improvising sounds like Stephen King's kind of, like, crackerjack dialogue. Yeah, because like, things like,
1: like Booger just gets used a lot in this movie, it feels like Stephen King is kind of, like... Yeah. It's like he, uh, you know how like like you watch a Taylor Sheridan drama. He doesn't really write well for women. It's like Stephen King doesn't quite write well for children. But then then he does yeah. like Stand by Me when when he's looking at him as adults, kind of. But yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean,
2: that could be um, booger more of a William Goldman writing Stand by Me thing because I don't that has to be.
1: You're right, of course.
2: But uh, uh, the uh, uh, the because yeah, when he's saying uh, stuff like. I'm more nervous than a virgin on prom night. Uh It's like, he, I'm sure he improvised that, but that could have also easily embedded a script. Yeah. What again. I'm certain
1: of is he improvised it in that he recalled it from something he said every three days for the entire span of his life.
2: <laughs> so he's just being Bucy. Being Bucy. It did seem like that. I mean, I love... The performance Me and this too. movie is probably really enhanced by him and Corey Heyman and then the uh, daughter, yeah, I agree. Uh, his sister, um, and he because uh, uh, he's so alive.
1: Yeah, he really is. He's, he's just, just he's doing his own movie, and luckily it worked out. He becomes the movie essentially.
2: Yeah, uh, he um, uh, uh, when he's saying that sort of those expressions, um, I've known people who talk like that. And it is kind of 50-50 where... <laughs> That's a good point. It'll go... It'll wash over me like, this is such a natural thing. This person's sane and it just works for the moment. And they learned this at some point and they're distributing it now in front of me or at us. And it works. And then there's the other 50 where it's like, the sweatiest, <laughs> like... <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that? Did you practice that? It's so weird you're putting it in this yeah. moment right now in real life. You sound yeah. like a character. Like you wanted to say this and sound like a character.
1: Do you remember when Dan Rather started doing those on
2: those little witticisms? Yeah, those ratherisms, like colloquial oh, idioms. God, or yes. I mean,
1: it just like happened overnight and then lasted for a while and then went away. It was the strangest thing. Like you're a venerable. Newscaster, you was he trying to somehow connect with like the flyover states or something? It's but- like we
2: we, uh, we look to newsmen to speak
1: properly. Yes, not. <laughs> This election is is crazier than a porcupine in a cactus patch. It's just, and, but they got weirder. They
2: were well. Like, we they, can't trust anything he says. After he was one of the first people to see the Zapruder footage and said that the head didn't fire back into the left. So wh- why do we trust anything oh that man says? Well, that
1: was one of his things. Like this, this election is crazier than the head not traveling back into the left.
2: <laughs> and what's the frequency, Kenneth? <laughs> what's
1: the frequency, Kenneth?
2: Uh what a nut.
1: Oh what a nut.
2: <laughs> oh, have I ever told you about how what a night it's funny that it's like late December back in 63 speaking of Kennedy and stuff cuz it's like this is just like a month after Kennedy was assassinated I never thought and this guy's that. like I hope I get laid. <laughs>
1: Oh, what a night, late December back in 63 Yeah, it'd be like Nothing in the world is gonna bother me Blinders on my face tonight
2: <laughs> uh, Also, it, it would it would be like uh, Oh, what a night, early October 2001 <laughs> Ooh, baby, the good times have begun <laughs> I'm getting late after nine eleven. <laughs>
1: oh, what a night! Late December, nineteen forty-one, <laughs> on a Hawaiian vacation with the only one. Nothing going on tonight. <laughs> Oh, what a night. Hit the shores of an Oahu beach. Where is everybody? I can't see a single person. What a night. Oh, I'm going on vacation in the Pacific to Guam. The Philippines, the Seychelles, and the Okinawa, too. What could go wrong? What a night!
2: <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that was very uh, that's fun. Somebody adds a beat that or something. <laughs> Harmonies. That is my what favorite oldie. That song. Yeah, it's one of my favorite
1: oldies. I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's got a lot of <laughs> a lot of hooks.
1: Yeah, it does. That's it's like only a tackle hooks. box. I know. <laughs> now that's an election that has so many hooks. It's like a tackle box. <laughs>
2: It's got somebody hucks, it's like a duck. <laughs> <laughs> that was my hour to sell. Oh, so wait, we were talking about wanting to get late a month after Kennedy, Dan Ratherism. And because
1: of Kennedy, he wanted to
2: get late. Yes, yeah. only because of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's like those people in that movie Crash,
1: but not the stupid one.
2: Yes, and it, it was like, he, he, I could see how a teenager would be like after Kenny was assassinated. It was like, this guy was a horn dog. Hmm. The only way to honor him is for me to lose my V-card. <laughs> Vic
1: virginity at sea. Our boys in blue have heaped the beach. What? <laughs> He can't talk and he won't talk, frankly. He's done with you people. He's throwing away his only career opportunity, podcasting, because his mouth has gone to mush and he's referring to podcasts that didn't happen last week, Turtles and Schneider. Listen, uh, what what are you saying? Oh, yeah. But do you think there is anything about after Kennedy got killed where teens were like, I got to lose my virginity because the world's going to end.
2: Ooh, well, Greece too. I know that's right. <laughs> that's
1: right. we've talked about
2: that. <laughs> um, also, you know that people make the argument about like the the Beatles hit the scene uh, February sixty four in America, mm. just less than three months after Kennedy. So you could make an argument people were just in the need of some a shot of oh, little yeah. joy and yeah. ready to
1: like move to the next level of madness, madness.
2: Yeah, fun. <sighs> Of Beatlemania. Um, my, uh, yes, the two, I probably mentioned this before, but the two decade things that I'm like, oh, did this ever, these two pivotal things maybe never crossed over, which is um, John F. Kennedy maybe never heard a Beatles song. Oh, wow. And Kirk Cobain maybe never went on the internet. <laughs> They're like, each year they pass before... They become – they break through. It may be cosmically that one
1: had to give way to the other for just pure energy. You mean like Kennedy had to (laughs) – this is not my – this is not what I'm saying. But like in this theory – Yeah. In that – yeah, like there's only so much information in the world and energy that could go to a – globally like iconic president. And that had to give way for the Beatles to come or Beatles Mm -hmm. filled the vacuum. And then when Cobain died, the the internet swept in.
2: I mean, don't you think all of them are probably like you could categorize them broadly as like, they're there to sort of buck a system. Yeah. Yeah. Or to put control in the, In the people's hands, man, or to get them out of corporate hands or something, you know. Yeah. The systems of power. And so, like, maybe that's the balance that needs to figure out. It's like- We're in that now. Kennedy in office with the Beatles at the top of the charts, that's just too much rebellion. (gasps) The people being able to write their own blogs while Kurt Cobain (laughs) thinks corporate magazines suck, like Rolling Stone. Oh, the people that's too much rebellion what's next then what goes the internet
1: it's gone too far it's gotten too big Ooh,
2: yeah you know i hear sometimes people make the argument that the next generation will be like anti-technology because that's the way you could rebel but i'm like that's never happened in the course of any history ever
1: i would hats off to them if they could and i think they should but yeah, you're right. That that's
2: it's also in the in the broad sweep of history, like anti progress. I guess like it has if you were reading Ages, a history though. book and you're like, there was a generation or two after the Gutenberg press where they were like, We're not reading print I know. I'd be
1: like but eh. it, it happened in the sense that as like the Roman civilization collapsed and then the church took over for the Dark Ages. So it could oh. happen where Someone makes it
2: happen. Pulls a plug on the internet? Yeah.
1: I had a I had a, – I don't know if it was a dream or an idea. Either way, it's not good. But Same it pertains thing. to this. That idea for a story where the Amish in Pennsylvania, we didn't know it, has been the longest sitting sleeper cell. And not only do they not issue <laughs> technology, but they've been hoarding it in their barns. And then they just – they activate one day and take over Pennsylvania and create a new state of like technically active, oh. progressive Amish like uh, dictatorship.
2: That's really cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that movie. <laughs> Terry Oak, to bring it back to the movie A Hand, Silver Bullets, uh, mm-hmm. one of the cavalcade of stars it has yeah. this terry o'quinn i love terry O'Quinn. yeah he's awesome uh from lost yeah and it, when you were saying that it reminded me before the last season the big everybody thought to go into the center of the lost island whatever the the headquarters that's turning out was gonna be ultra futuristic mm. like oh we've just been seeing trees and huts this oh, whole time right. so when we go under went the other way it was it became more ancient like more temple-ish that's right um but i mean i'd like to imagine it even in silver bullet if they opened like up a little manhole in the junk in the woods and they went down to like a techno cave i'd love it Uh, i know (laughs) any movie sign me up yeah out of africa robert reverend's like here i opened up a man manhole to this techno cave quest for fire (laughs) (laughs) Hmm? Oh, we watched *Quest for Fire* in my history class, so we'd have an understanding of prehistoric times. I've never seen it. Not. I don't think it was uh, <laughs> entirely historically <laughs> correct.
0: <laughs>
2: there was humping too. And there mm, was. Sex. That's historically correct. Hey, it's um, what it, it's been around at least for two hundred years, at least. Um. Well, should we jump in? Let's do it. Should we ride the Silver Bullet?
1: Let us ride.
2: So, um, this is coming out of like the 80s. We're big, not since the 50s. I'd say this was like a big werewolf time. Yeah, the werewolf
1: boom, which then happened again, I think, a little bit in the 2000s, right? With Wolf. Yeah, Wolf the, the
2: mid-90s was when Wolf happened. And then right. the, the Jack Nicholson one, is that yeah, what you were talking so about? Yeah, so
1: maybe turn of the century, so mid to, yeah, because then there's the Benicio del Toro Wolf Man
2: and cursed the uh, uh cursed uh, yeah. or uh, um Is that what it's called the um Wes Craven Kevin Williamson yeah uh, movie um Werewolves of L A yeah. movie but um yeah I guess much like the werewolf these things come in cycles <laughs> <laughs> um because yeah it was uh. We we discussed on our pod, uh, the, one of our, I think, longest episodes, maybe if not the longest. The American Werewolf. Yeah, The American yeah. Werewolf in London. And then uh, same year as The Howling. And then soon after that is Wolfen. Wolfen, yeah. And then Thriller, right. uh, the Thriller music video. So this movie coming a couple of years after that, um, it didn't occur to me until the end of the movie that I was like, Oh, I love the whodunit aspect of this. Me too. The mystery is really cool. But because it's a mystery, that means you don't really, and this is fine. I don't care. You just don't get the goods of what a werewolf movie is, which is like the transformation scene. I know. Because they the can't first, show that yeah. or it, it,
0: And you never it.
1: know how the, the alpha werewolf became a werewolf. Yeah. This.
2: It's very in line with um, the movie we watched. Last week. Dead zone. Yeah. yeah. Where, um, the explanation kind of being like a cool, Hey, this is just wasting time trying yeah. to figure this out. And it's going to make it less scary. But there's a part where he goes, somebody, uh, Gary Busey asks, um, Gary Busey, the person asked Corey Haim, the person on the screen
1: in character. Yeah.
2: <laughs> How did he? get this? How did he become this? And then somebody says, uh, I don't know. And I don't even know if he knows, which was like, Oh, Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Have we talked about this? I think we've touched on this, but I don't know if we've had like a formal discussion about it. The, the, any aspect of a whodunit, you're taking what the story is giving you and trying to figure it out through Mm -hmm. that. But you also have, there must be a name for this, like the meta contextual, like the Laurie Metcalf of scream too oh, this like, is
2: cool dude this needs a word
1: yeah yeah so like keep I'm, going with it I'm i interrupted in mary mcdonald so i'm factoring in they're not casting laurie metcalf in this small part without her being some role of significance therefore i can conclude that she's the killer yeah and that's to, a healthy guess
2: yeah and to extract that from uh um uh, just scream and stuff if if it's like you're watching a mystery or not even a mystery just what's that this thing where yeah you know this has to happen because of the production of the movie and you don't have to be inside to know it everybody recognizes this it's like if in scene three a very notable actor plays a character you're just like well that person doesn't exist for a scene.
1: Yeah. And it's not presented in a novelty way, like a cameo. Right. So you have casting. You also have to factor in the style of what movies are doing at the time. Uh And so like Scream 3 with Mary McDonald is three, right? Or is it four? Four. Four. They're almost playing against that. That's our belief in that. Mm -hmm. So for this one, as soon as Everett McGill gets in it and like you start to see him develop throughout and he's a really good character, I I just was like, wait, has Everett McGill ever once played a good person in a movie?
2: Well, even the movie we watched previously with him, the people yeah. under the stairs, he was no, not a I mean, good man. He was the the big baddie.
1: Yeah, is I think he might be pretty good in Dune. I forget. Oh, but right. the uh, well, point this
2: is, is the yeah. I mean, this was the sixty five thousand dollar question that I wanted to ask you. Like, when did because. These are the two things I remember. One, I remember Corey Haim zipping around on a big motorized wheelchair. Yeah, we'll and then that. I re- I remember who the werewolf was. Yeah, I and did so not so when know. did you figure it out? But the or? minute
1: I just was like, Everett McGill is playing a nice man?
2: <laughs> oh, he's the werewolf. Oh, so pretty right much away. within his first or second scene. It's
1: when he was trying to get the... The um, vigilante crew to stop while they're pulling out in their cars, and he was like uh-huh. helping them at that. And it wasn't even, I would, this time was not even trying to figure it out. I yeah. just was like really surprised to see him in an earnestly good role. And then that's when it clicked to me that it's got to be him. And yeah. I wasn't 100% sure. But then when they started looking for one eyed people before they even got to him, I'm like, oh, they're just holding out him for yeah. the end. And, yeah. and so, what is that? Is a weird thing, and that you who done it must be so much more effective when on their first release cuz you're not 100% up on the tropes of your day all the time there's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there's room to play with yeah. it but like you look back in the 80s and and you know certain tropes in the 90s yeah or, or that, you can forget them yeah,
2: yeah and the movie in addition to like those tropes being like new then and then they get exhausted and then it, it like also uh that movie can't predict that that actor is going to get cast in Twin Peaks and then be a creep right. and that. And everybody is so, like, so that actor have? is good. in if you saw him with 1985 eyes, cause he does have a sinister quality that I'm sure the people casting him like want him to have on some level. But I was thinking also in terms of 1985 audiences sitting opening night, like what, what percentage of the audience do you think when he showed up with his eye covered were like, oh, it's him? I think
1: most because also I don't think people – like he wasn't a household name. He didn't mm-hmm. have the benefit of history. This is early in his career. It's the yeah. youngest I've probably seen him in something.
2: Because he does have that nightmare. Not to argue yeah. with – a um, No, I know. Why an audience I, – I agree with you. I think most people would be like, oh, it's him. I think when I was a kid, that's when I realized it was him was when it was I was covered. Yeah. But – um. Yeah, that nightmare is kind of like, when you saw that, did you kind of go like, I oh, No, if
1: ahead. anything, I thought that's just him being empathetic and like caring. I thought that like added to his goodness.
2: Mm, cool. Bolstered
1: yeah. it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do we call this? Sort yes. Of, uh, we need a good name. Maybe we could. So like, how do you even describe it? It's.
2: Yeah, it does feel like it needs, like, um, the word, like, whatever uncanny is, like, canny or uncan- it, it, It's n- I'm not saying we use the words canny or uncanny. It's just, like, in the field of, like, when your eye can recognize yeah. something is...
1: Like an extra textual... Yes. Extra textual...
2: ET, the extra textual...
1: Yeah, it's like an extra textual clue, or...
2: Yeah, Tread. what's a Freudian word for clue? From Crum, breadcrumb,
1: extra textual breadcrumb. Bread that's good. Oh my god! Extra that's, that's textual
2: breadcrumb. Extra textual,
1: or there's like metatextual. I
2: think those are Reese's pieces, actually. <laughs> is the extra textual breadcrumb that Elliot used, or extra textual? Signifier. Signifier is a good, yeah, academic word. It's so I'd believe that in a journal. Sounding. Yeah,
1: an extra textual signifier would be that Everett McGill plays a bunch of slime bows.
2: <laughs> and who knows, maybe some of our listeners are clued in. Maybe there is a word that bounces yeah, around there that. Maybe that is like meaning when, yeah, an audience's brain or eye identifies something outside of the movie. Is, I mean, that's like why psycho the trick psycho played right it was like the yeah. audience is like janet lee is the star of this movie right. so she's going to be there till the end so that must have been percolating certainly was percolating at that time and certainly the first, before
1: we may have talked about this too like the first big thing to ever play on your
2: expectations uh that go with go outside it. of the movie
1: well just no like to use to turn a twist Using, going against your preconceived expectations about how a movie should go. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what all twists are in a way. But the other question is, is this a good thing? Like, I actually think I wish I could turn it off because it in some ways ruins your movie-going experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It does. Contemporary eyes, I think, yeah, can kind of... I mean, obviously the political st- stuff get uh, can trouble a movie or ruin like with contemporary eyes and maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing it's like oh i should have those eyes and be locking into this but um uh, scores and stuff like Uh. i wish i could feel the rush i mean i loved the score to uh, um
1: silver bullet silver bullet
2: but I was identifying as like, oh, I like it because it's an 80s yes. synth score where I was like, oh. And now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, it would be cool to be sitting in the audience and just be like, this is the new fucking sound of I horror know. movies that I'm experiencing. <laughs> <it."> I know. <laughs> it definitely has the um, – I think it really looks like a – Friday Thirteenth Part Four or Five. It sure movie. does. It sure the does. The cinematography looks at like the props and stuff, but the um, uh, the music has that choice, like nineteen eighty five, where synths are now doing the work yeah. of orchestras, yeah. which I normally like hate. Yeah. But maybe there's something sincere about it here I that I just right. I like it. It'll just be like do, 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 yeah. it's like you guys think that those are strings? You're tricking <laughs> us.
1: <laughs> yeah, there is that window of about let's say eighty four to maybe eighty seven, eighty eight, where you don't know if the composer is using it, presenting it as this is synth. Don't worry or. I yeah I went and worked with an orchestra and here they are and we we just had a little filter to it but this is this is a real oh wow uh,
2: oh my god that would be so Tustin great to have a, a composer at that time having to present to like the filmmaker the score and he's told them that it's a full score and they're just <laughs> behind the, the curtain like
1: Yamaha organ or like the Moog has <laughs> promised him authentically sampled strings which they did at the time so he's just
2: like good enough for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's like Ducking his head behind a curtain He's like, okay, you guys ready? <laughs> mm-hmm, okay B-b-b-b-. They say they're ready, folks And he does
1: some voices back there Like, oh, you're ready. I'm ready <laughs> I'm ready too I
2: love Obo. <laughs> We're
1: all ready, sir okay, <laughs> Piccolo
2: here <laughs> <laughs> And then they're done And then the filmmaker goes uh, uh, "Uh, That was great I know you faked it, but you're Moxie Yeah You've, the way you tried to deceive me was so
1: charming. You're going places, Danny Elfman. <laughs> uh,
2: uh, this is also just uh, to fit it in the 80s canon of werewolf movies. It's also the same year as uh, Teen Wolf.
1: Oh Huge. Huge. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, now, like I said, I watched this uh, at my friend Matt's house and his older brother, Brad. They taped it off a of Cinemax. Um, uh, <laughs> had to make sure that should we get it
0: <laughs>
2: uh, putting that in the historical record?
0: Uh, uh, so Motioned should we carry, logo? Enter loco? into the minutes.
2: Seconded, Matt approved. and Brad. Mm, got it. Okay, approved. Uh, logo loco. Did you get the studio canal?
1: No, I don't know why mine had a studio canal thing on it. It seemed newer.
2: I watched this on uh. Paramount Plus. Oh, I watch it on Plex. You Paramount P subscriber? I am. I really like it. Cha-ching. I'm hoping uh, I get paid. No, I'm getting oh. I don't want to. It's not even possible, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an idiot? I just felt self-conscious. It sounded like such a promo. But I really like it. Um, A, a bevy of TV movies oh, and really? stuff. Like, like, like they, they somehow own... Packages that own oh, probably for CBS and stuff. Like, uh, what,
1: like any that you can throw out there.
2: Um, I watched uh, Bad Ronald. Uh, Bad Ronald's good. I just watched the Hillside Stranglers movie oh, I with that. Uh, Richard Crenna and Treat
1: Williams. No, what am I thinking of?
2: Oh uh, uh, no, it's not Treat Williams. It's Dennis Farina. Oh, and Billy Zane play the two cousins who are the Hillside murderers. And Richard Crenna plays the, like, detective who's got, like, one last thing to prove or something. Uh, I love it. He's yeah. in Los Angeles with, like, a New York accent. <laughs> of course. Jan. is uh, uh, great, huh? Oh, he's he's the like greatest. the TV movie king in my yeah. mind. Like, we watched this, my sister, Anne, loves... Uh, and. This word is used as a pejorative, but I think it's good. Uh, melodramas. Yes. And so we would watch made-for-TV movie melodramas with, like, Tyne Daly and Richard Crenna. Like, the parents of a child and they have to do a court case for some reason for the child, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's,
1: like, we talked about, please let this have been our podcast last week. And Jillian. In the, yes. Okay. And she did a bunch of TV
2: movie Well, dramas. it was for our... Um, uh, mailbag. That's right, for the mailbag. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, hey guys, some Angelian talk. I mean, you know you want to... Gourley clues me in that I was like, gosh, I wish Angelian did more comic performances. Tune into the mailbag to find out what he, rec- what he recommends. For, and you get a lot of it
1: through this. Um, Did regular yes. listeners will probably already know what it, what it is. I say,
2: <laughs> yes, it's their associated
1: hearts. with an, one of my eight obsessions.
2: Um, but the Paramount logo—it is the same year as Friday the Thirteenth yeah. Part Five. Feels so, like yeah, that's that's some good. Now, uh, Dino De Laurentiis in the credits—two Dinos, Dino two, D- two Dinos in a row for
1: us. Dino D—I know. And and thanks again to our yes. researcher. Shout out, I mentioned that was it. Dino De Laurentiis did five Stephen King yeah. movies from this period.
2: Yeah, let's read them here. Uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty bonkers. The um, amount that this dude uh, he had a little, little bitty love affair with um, our boy Stephen King. Do yeah. you think he just uh, would go over to his house and say? What do you have in your mind today, Mr. King?
1: I think you'd put a little silver platter with a a little cocaine volcano.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is one of five King adaptations. Thank you for these notes Um, uh, that Dino De Laurentiis did in a three-year span. The others are The Dead Zone, 83. Firestarter eighty-four. Maximum Overdrive eighty-five. Same year as Silver Bullet. Cat's Eye eighty-five. Wow. Three oh. De Laurentis King eighty-fivers. And then later in ninety-one, he produced Sometimes They Come Back, which I didn't know was directed by Tom McLaughlin on Friday thirteenth, part six, Jason lives fame. But I love Sometimes They Come Back and I was gonna That's a Stephen King? Yeah, it was a made for TV movie that I watched when I was um when I was a kid and I
1: so did that it. not get on your radar? for? Because it, I found a, a Stephen King movie that somehow missed my radar that I would have chosen.
2: It was on my list as the next one if um, – it was between that and Pet Cemetery and mm. I chose neither. It ended up being Silver Bullet.
1: Yeah. I don't know why this one I – I seem to overlook, or even if I had it on my list, why I didn't pick it, I don't know. I know it's not great, but Lawnmower Man, I, I want to see that. Oh,
2: again. that would have been a fun. Part. Well, we can yeah. maybe add it if we're feeling.
1: Well, I think we do have like enough virtual for reality. A second King Fling. King, that's day. right. Yeah,
2: maybe they could be like the Spring King Fling without making it sound like we're dumping on it too much, but it's kind of like second drawer.
1: Yeah. Like,
2: yeah. Stephen King has his bandy scripts in the top drawer, and then these are the ones that he, like, brings out just for friends. We'll call it the
1: spring. Next year, we could do Spring King Fling Outlet Edition. Outlet Mall. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> your graveyard shifts. Yeah. Your Lawnmower Men. Yeah. Uh, I did see Lawnmower Man 2, Beyond Cyberspace, in theaters. And that's just not Stephen King at all. No, because the first one isn't. But I had never seen the first one. I saw the sequel opening weekend. Wait, did you say the first one isn't? I haven't seen the first one. oh, oh. oh. Stephen King sued the filmmakers for Lawnmower Man for promoting it as a Stephen King movie because he was like, This is so far off from the book I wrote. Oh,
1: so that's maybe why it didn't come up on my search of Stephen King uh, movies, even though he's credited to it.
2: Yeah. Um and yeah, so Lawnmower Man too has no and the reason I saw that in theaters was because it was one of those things where when you're a teenager, you just want to go out to the movies yeah. and it's like January, yeah. February. Oh, geez, yeah. You're like I gotta go to lawnmower man to beyond cyberspace <laughs> with star Austin O'Brien. Um, so yeah, uh, just talking about De Laurentiis here and how he did, this is one of five things he did in a three year span. Um, sort of talked about this a little bit last time and it seems like it started more with fire starter. Um, but this thing of like, you know, this is per, uh, Uh, this idea of like a Stephen King adaptation no longer needs a respected or emerging auteur to like do it, to give it legitimacy. It's
1: enough to be a Stephen King joint.
2: Yeah. To the extent that this is the first time that it's like, I think Stephen King's silver bullet. Uh. So you have like Brian De Palma, Kubrick, Toby Hooper, right. John Carpenter, um, all making these adaptations and Firestarter I think is probably the first one where it's like maybe a person's second or first movie and it's not like they have a body of work where you go like, "Oh, this movie is in relationship." I mean, you watch Dead Zone, you're like, "Oh, this is a David Cronenberg movie" even though it looks is yeah. written by Stephen King. Um, so uh-huh. this one does feel um And it did make me want to bring a question up, which is if De Laurentiis had whatever done this and Stephen King had kept the path of like Tiffany Studios, like Warner Brothers are putting respected filmmakers with material and putting them together to make adaptations that are like really respected not kind of like oh de- dino de Laurentis produces these on his own and then he sells them to paramount uh like maybe not silver bullet because it would always be kind of like a little but like at this time like uh no oh, let's do silver bullet like who's there's there, a, like there's a spielberg movie in this yeah sure or
0: it,
1: joe dante or yeah.
2: um, mm-hmm.
1: um uh, what's his name uh back to the future
2: Oh, Robert Zemeckis, Robert or even a, a Richard Donner, yeah, Richard Donner. That's what I was trying to think of, yeah. yeah. Because if it's like, um, I mean, this definitely feels like there's things in it that, that wouldn't exist if not for ET coming out, yeah, like, yeah, it just has that kind of like Spiel, Spielberg look, yeah, you're right. Do
1: you think that this transition, because that's a really good observation, that, that that happened because Stephen King movies truly were enough an event, or was it really just that? Dino D bought all these, did a Cronenberg one, and is kind of like, hmm, the biggest price tag here was Cronenberg. I bet if I uh, just cut the director, you got Dan Adius, who I think had only done a student film at this point. Yeah. Let's yeah just see. And and then look, they are I, I love this movie, but the lesser it's Diminishing returns. Yeah, the lesser yeah. kings are these ones without auteurs attached to them.
2: Yeah. Uh the um I mean it kind of seems that way. It does seem like he's like, "Oh, the money I'm buying the Stephen King is the marketable thing here." Yeah. And the uh signifier of like quality. Right. So so much that I'll put Stephen King's uh silver bullet as the title yeah. screen so it can be marketed that way and Do
1: you think it'll come back? It, it kind of did with it. Well, because Kerry Fukunaga was going to do it originally, and then he walked from the production.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely like in the last like five years, I think. Well, he had like a reappreciation with like Misery to like Dolores Claiborne. Oh. Like. I've never seen that. Um, Sort of like atmospheric, well respected directors doing serious adaptations. They're not like. Um, I don't know, a little cheaper well, like, tawdry. Yeah,
0: and it's like sensational. all the They're good less film sensational. filmmakers
1: gravitated towards his Richard Bachman books. So oh, yeah. So Stand By Me, Shawshank
2: Redemption. Yeah. Right, right. And then, right, oh, of course, Shawshank fits into that, like Misery, Dolores Claiborne, like, era. Yeah. And then that kind of fits in with, like, the Green Mile, yeah. like, critical Definitely. appreciation. And then it's sort of weighing for, I think, like, a dozen years and then big time like when it came it was like oh he's our greatest living writer now that phil roth has died <laughs> this is like <laughs> and then all, so much of his stuff started i mean like then there was that castle rock show that was just like King oh, yeah. kingland
1: with matthew mcconaughey and idris Elba. is that right
2: no that was the um oh no that yeah what am i thinking of That should have been, like, people were heartbroken because that should have been, uh, The Dark Tower. Yeah, Dark Tower, yeah. And I have buddies who, like, really close friends who are, like, such Stephen King fans and love, like, The Dark Tower and will talk to me about The Dark Tower and how Stephen King's in The Dark Tower books and stuff. It just sounds like such a wild ride that I think they were disappointed that the movie was, like, 98 minutes or something. Oh, man. And it's, like, (laughs) seven or eight books or something. Because what's left, they, I know they did
1: Doctor Sleep, but that... Was middle of the road for me, and then they did a second stand miniseries if I'm remembering yeah. correctly.
2: It seems like if somebody did a um, well respected, crafted like HBO limited series, yeah. uh, like leftovers or Watchmen style they did did. the november
1: 1963 the kennedy assassination oh
2: right james franco yes yeah yeah that was like a i guess a limited series with a movie star i think james franco oh on on hulu Hulu, yeah 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 yeah. but um because now hbo think would be cool yeah they're back to basically
1: i mean it may not seem like it because we're in this time but i think history will show the current Stephen King movies are kind of, we're back in the Dino De Laurentiis era with a Firestar remake, Firestarter remake coming out, The Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Even it, it, I like the first one, but the second one just felt like we're back into. I think King's books, they do need some reworking, at least to become movies, if not to become (laughs) other books sometimes.
2: Golly, you make a good point, which is like how many of the Stephen King adaptations are good if they're not helmed by a director who makes good stuff outside of the Stephen King movie. It also makes me wonder how what's out
1: there that he's written that could still make a good film or are all the good stories done? That's why they kind of started repeating them.
2: Yeah. Um, I did read a, a short story, I guess I forgot to mention that with stuff I read, The Longest Walk. That's like a short story that when I read it, I think it might be in the same collection as The Running Man, but it's about like this post- apocalypse thing where it's a line of kids and oh. you just whoever is still walking at the end of this longest walk wins oh. um and uh I remember thinking that was like if it could be achieved that yeah. could be a pretty yeah um, boring movie maybe. <laughs> <laughs> hey can we take a bathroom break <laughs> bathroom break we'll be right back with Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With and rest. And we're back. And we're back. So to swing back at the other way to give um, some love and praise uh, for Dino De Laurentiis. Yes. Um, I do really love... Uh, this movie has like the feel of like a uh like an italian uh, giallo no oh, yeah cuz there's like a mystery at the heart of it and i love like the uh, cinematographer her here armando armando Nanuzzi. Nanuzzi? um i think you mean
1: armando Nanuzzi. <laughs> thank you
2: i was so close to the pronunciation but uh like i love those like Oh, and Dino De Laurentiis did uh, produce *Manhunter* and stuff too. But just like that, like look of those like reds and blues, particularly in that scene where the priest is trying to chase down the townsfolk from running out and killing the werewolf. Like it's a sunset, and they light the store window. It's like so beautiful, and I don't know the music, but also just like the spirit of like. there's not like studio meddling where you feel like, Oh, we need to know this character's motivation or get them on your side at this point. Or even kind of like, I think that's why you get stuff like, uh, in dead zone, like it, you've obtained a new power or an ancient one (laughs) or just somebody saying like, he got it. Uh, Maybe he doesn't even know how he got it. Yeah. Like.
1: Which is how it would happen. We talked about that in the dead zone thing. Yeah. You you wouldn't know because it's supernatural. So you wouldn't have a precedent for it.
2: But I feel like if Dino De Laurentiis wasn't producing this and it was like a studio movie, you'd get kind of like, so I love that it's all like. Me too. Colors, sensations, sounds, and just like. It is just all about like having a fun ride. Yeah. Um, but uh uh so that's that's uh, yeah. a, a, a thing I like about it, even though I would like to see what a prestige version <laughs> of Silver Bowl it was with I know. Robert Redford as the <laughs> uncle. <A> platinum bullet. <laughs> you mentioned Everett McGill trying to stop
1: the townsfolk from going out. And it just occurred to me that knowing now that he's the werewolf, how funny that is that he's trying to stop them. To like don't go out Stay here with me He should be basically saying like yes go Go uh, yeah. go far away from me
2: I had this in the notes But that point and then earlier In the bar where he's trying to talk them down I did think it was funny If he was like Not entirely working too hard <laughs> like, No you guys Gotta stop you, you can't, okay, okay. Don't go, please, my friends,
1: don't go. Huh? Here, let me turn that key for you. There <laughs> you go. I'll give you,
2: you need to push. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh. oh, and you mentioned uh, Platinum Bullet. Um, <laughs> I did. I, you know how some movies it's like a slow tease, whether it's a werewolf movie. Yeah, I like that. This movie is called Silver Bullet, and the first thing you see is a full moon. Like yeah, anybody's, be like, Oh, right, yeah, yeah. This is a werewolf movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, another name I saw in the credits: Carlo Rambaldi. Mm, Carlo Rambaldi. Now he's the man who made E. T. He he mm-hmm. created E. T. I'm gonna say E.T. was maybe some better work than the son yeah, of so werewolf. According here.
1: to our research, he had a lot more time and money for E.T. where this <laughs> he was not given much time or money, and that's why the werewolf ended up looking like a bear. Which is what yeah. they would say. And did you know Everett McGill was in the suit the whole time any of it was done in a suit? Because he, he just apparently like it just fit him and no one else could get in it and he wanted to do it.
2: Well, it's sort of like when an actress is like, it just looks better when he does the stunt. Yeah. Let's get him in the bear suit. Nobody's going to
1: believe this if it isn't Everett McGill in the
2: bear suit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I heard the bear suit criticism before watching the movie, reading the thing. And I understand. I feel like it only really looked like a bear totally... When he was on the bridge and he got the firework shot on his eye, that was like uh, there was one like time the, the masturbating bear from, <laughs> yeah. Conan, where it was like there was one. But one... what was weird about it was the face when it the light firework went in the eye. Who's the actor? Bruce Everett, Everett McGill, Everett McGill. It looked kind of like Everett McGill's face. I
1: think it may have been molded because in the end they you know they have a uh, like latex version that's clearly rubber, so they're either shooting it in reverse or just sticking something in the nose and then pulling it back. So it's like shrinking. But then eventually that face has to dissolve. They do a film dissolve to Everett McGill and they have similar noses. It must have been by design.
2: So they maybe they use that face prosthetic earlier in the movie. So if you were eagle eyed enough, it would be like, oh,
1: or if you're Corey Haim, just take a good look and go, damn, you look like the preacher.
2: (laughs) <laughs> Damn, you look like the preacher. <laughs> Damn, girl.
0: <laughs>
2: um yeah, the uh uh um yeah, and and the first director, uh Don Coricelli, walked off the project because they didn't have the werewolf suit figured out yet. Mm-hmm. So they decided to take an approach like Jaws where right. they're not going to show it as much. I mean, I would say if I was, and I love werewolf movies. If I was a ticket buying audience member of this, I would love so much of this werewolf movie, but I'd probably be disappointed about what is usually top of mind, my favorite thing about werewolf yeah. movies, which is like how they look and yeah, like their effects and not and only stuff. that,
1: but even the human gore is yeah, it's fun to watch. I love it. You see the scenes, but it is subpar at best.
2: Yeah, and so. I could see how this movie, like, the next weekend wouldn't be... Yeah. People are going out and telling their friends, like, oh, you got to see this amazing werewolf movie. Did you read
1: in Brantley's research that they had a prosthetic of the mangled Brady, but all the actors are saying it just looked like a mannequin with cranberry juice poured on it. So they didn't show it.
2: (laughs) I did read that. And I thought that was such a great description because I could imagine how cheap something would look like when it is cranberry juice. It's like kind of a thin thing and it just like rests in sort of the creases not like splattered.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, that's good. We didn't need so much gore. Not Brady. Oh, Brady. Um, so then, uh, uh, the movie starts, <laughs> there's an opening shot of that small town street with the, uh, adult woman voiceover. Yeah. To- I love Feltcher. that.
1: Who's that? Tova Feldscher, famous Broadway
2: actress, I believe. I didn't know this. No, yeah. oh, I really love that voiceover. Yeah. Talk about cozy. I know. Yeah.
1: You'd think it'd be Corey
2: Hames character. Yes. It kind of had a it felt like a nod to like to kill a mockingbird or something yeah right? like the
1: that's probably what it is i I thought maybe so much so that like did does Corem's
2: character die? why isn't why oh you, you know made? what that actually adds a bit of suspense to the movie yeah. as you're watching it now that I think of it you're like she's telling a story about the time she lost her brother who seems so vulnerable, right you would think that yeah, um, but I really like that choice of a storyteller or somebody who's not. Fully in the main, yeah, me too. Center of the story, and then um, just that voice. Uh, it's interesting you know she was a Broadway actor because, like, it reminded me when you were a kid and um, you'd like be a little corner in your classroom where you'd put on headphones and a book would get like read to you. Like the yeah, comfort of, yeah, like, I know it's nice. Oh, uh, uh, a thespian reading like <laughs> a book is, uh, I mean, I know that's what people love about audiobooks, yeah. but it was a nice touch. Um, the Now, that first actor, <laughs> Arnie, he gets beheaded on the train track. Yeah. I didn't look him up because I guess I didn't want to know. I didn't know if it was the actor who plays the grizzled manager from Major League who goes like, I'm sick of I ice and you're dickling damn stuff. I don't... Or so. oh. if he's the old man from Fraggle Rock oh my God. who is like, uh you know, the guy who works in the, the handyman station with the hole in the wall that the Fraggles sometimes peek into. Let me
1: see. Um,
2: if you had to guess, what do you think it is? I, I think it might be the Fraggle Rock guy. Yeah, I can't quite picture him,
1: so maybe... <laughs> Uh, James Gammon,
2: James. Oh, I think that's major league guy. It is major league guy. (laughs) James Gammon is the, yeah. And he's not Fraggle Rock.
1: Well, I'm looking up major league. Sorry. I don't mean to. Oh, it's okay. Disappoint you. So it may not be that. Oh, no, that's him. Silver bullet, Arnie Westrom. Okay. But maybe you're not, you don't think they're all the same. Even Fraggle Rock guy.
2: Well, Fraggle Rock, I think, came out around like 83, so if it pops up there, but it Not is a different serious. actor, because I've never watched the Fraggle Rock guy and gone, no, that's the manager for Major League. Uh,
1: I didn't recognize him. That's funny. I mean, I recognized Lawrence Tierney. Yes. Reservoir Dogs.
2: Yeah, uh, as the bartender with the Peacekeeper bat. Yeah. Um, We'll get to it at the time, but... You know, tyranny is uh, the tyranny of tyranny. Uh, He's known as an actor who's hard for people to get to do things or stay focused and on task. Yeah, uh, will kind of hijack a movie. And so when I was watching, I was just kind of conscious of that. That was my extra textual breadcrumb. Was Uh just like, I um, I was like, oh, tyranny seems to be a good sport here. But did you notice what? came for him to die in the forest, it's all background oh, on his yeah, back running right. away. So
1: it's probably not even him.
2: Yeah. And it's supposed to be like the big last kill, but you don't even see anything into his face or scratch. I why
1: that was the case. Because they do kind of make hay of him being a character. Yeah. Like, yeah.
2: And the peacekeeper bat is like such a big yeah. d- detail through the whole thing that that seems like the whole point of that sequence is it ends with him getting killed. So the fact oh. that that was missing, I just imagine being like, I'm not going to get <laughs> Scratched by a wolf. (laughs) I thought I was getting shot with a silver
1: bullet. Now you're telling me I'm going to get killed by a, mauled by a bear? (laughs) That's a wolf, Mr. Tierney. Call me Lou.
2: Lou, he likes to be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So... Uh, I liked um that first kill on the train tracks. Yeah, I didn't
1: that, see it coming so quickly.
2: Yeah, and that would you say that Gore is a little over torqued? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just like the strangeness of like the townsfolk hearing it and cutting to them. I I think my favorite stuff in this movie is anytime they had like that weird kind of creepy townsfolk. Yeah, the townsfolk stuff was great. That's
1: also when it became the most lighthearted too.
2: Oh, yeah, like a Green Acres or something.
1: Yeah, basically like just a – well, I love a Motley Crew, like on a mission and it made me think of – well, this is where I got my Amish idea but also had the idea of like has there ever been a man on a mission movie like um, Predator or something but it's just elderly people?
0: Oh,
2: wait, the elderly people? Oh, like to go like on a – yeah. Predator like, meets Cocoon. Yes. Sold in the room. That's good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, is there like just a predator movie with a werewolf about a team of, like you took oh. the 20 minute section of that in the movie and yeah. made it a whole movie group of guys going to the forest. No, to find I'm a talking
1: like you got Art Carney, George Burns, Lee Strasberg.
2: A <laughs> very particular time. Of yeah. <laughs> old actors. That's good.
1: Michael J. Pollard. Uh, <laughs>
2: George Burns. George
1: Burns. And they're just suiting up. There's mission prep scene and they've got to do- go down to Columbia to remove a communist like junta.
2: I, I, uh, uh, I could imagine a funny joke, uh, a funny joke, quote unquote, for this movie would be like, uh, you know, they go to the werewolf expert, the old, the old, the whole gang of old guys, the oldies, and the, the, the professor is like, uh, a werewolf is a ancient beast who has been around for a long time. And George Byrne's like, You rang, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> that was the laziest weakest joke That's Club. the best joke covered in weeks. <laughs> that is my favorite type of setup, Punchlight oh, is the matter. Give me that setup again. With the, the exact you same, be line. the
1: guy talking about this, uh, yeah.
2: Uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, you must Yeah, the the werewolf is an ancient beast who has lived for centuries.
1: He talking about me.
0: <laughs> That's good
2: too. That's good too. <laughs> All of the old actors would be fighting over who gets the punchline to that setup. Um. <laughs> If you read Mad Magazine, <laughs> I'm not going to even say every other, I'm going to say like two every two jokes is this and a third is it. it the setup is like um uh I I like going um I like going to the gym. I, I like going to my aerobics class. Um it really gets my heart going. Oh, the other person goes, oh, because of all the strenuous exercising? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, why would you talk like that? And then the person, even more contrived, goes like, "Uh, no, it's seeing those ladies in their aerobics wear. (laughs) That is what gets my heart racing.
1: (laughs) Give me that setup one more time.
2: Yes. uh, uh, Gentlemen, gentlemen. Take it from me. I know a werewolf is an ancient, ancient beast who has lived for many centuries. You met my wife, have you? <laughs> so <Also> good. <laughs> they could just do, just go down the line of all seven old men and they just each get their own punchline. Or they're just
1: in a single file line. They say it and then they go to the back of the line. They cycle Ding.
2: through a room. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> um. Also, what I really loved about all these kills,
1: they're so slashery. Yeah, for sure. You get
2: the point of view shots, like the killer cam looking through stuff. Interesting um, lighting
1: too, because it's like all dark backgrounds, but whatever's being slashed is in high key light.
2: Yes, I uh, uh, I noticed that too. And then uh, it didn't get me thinking, you know, because this is like 85. And, you know, like uh, we said like oh, 84 is kind of like that last year, the golden period, because yeah. it's like uh, Friday the 13th, part four. After that, it's kind of, they have to start changing it up. It can't just be a slasher. And then Nightmare on Elm Street's 84, and after that, it's like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: oh, it's kind of boring if you're just doing a regular slasher movie. So the fact that this comes like a year after that, it does, like, I thought like there's a point where you see it's like a lightning flashing and rain coming down, killer point of view shot like coming up to like a lattice, and it just looks exactly like it's a from a Friday Thirteenth movie. And then a hand comes up on the lattice <laughs> to grab it. And it's a werewolf's paw. It's and was, so stiff and <laughs> But I was kind of like, that is sort of perfect. It's just like, yeah, we got like six, seven good years yeah. of slasher movies. Yeah, Why why don't we just make one of them and be yeah. a little wolfy?
1: Dino De Laurentiis, never ahead of his time.
2: <laughs> he just always had his eye on what was going to be uh, getting money out of people's wallets.
1: Yeah, he's the first reverberation of any idea, you know, like... <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, to his credit there were some shots of like uh, this uh because i think this is shot in north carolina mm, i was wondering um dino de la Rente, i think it might be the same town uh as where blue velvet was filmed a dino oh. de la Rente's movie because there's some shots here where it's just like it looks like oh the creepy it was the same creepy townsfolk extras from blue velvet interesting i've never seen that um oh we could maybe have a spring lynch fest. Oh. A, a, spring lynch fling. A lynch cinch. A Ly- the lynch cinch. A lynch. Pinch a lynch cinch.
1: <laughs> lynch pinch. <laughs> lynch
2: pinch. <laughs> Lynchian. Um, now, going back to the voiceover, she says, I was 15 years old, this is Jane, and Marty was 11. N- what year do you think she's talking from? Like she sounds like an adult, eighty-five. Oh, this is
1: set in seventy-six.
2: That's weird because I saw when the after the um, bad dad gets killed in the greenhouse, the headline, the newspaper, it said it was nineteen eighty. So it was like, "Is this nineteen eighty-five? Five years? Well, that is but, weird." But it, five years doesn't seem like enough time to pass for her to like go from no because also young it girl seemed to, like
1: time was kind of passing, but basically from full moon to full moon. But they were never fully clear.
2: They didn't make that clear. So it was kind of like, for a stretch, it was like, how many nights in a row do you get a full moon? They didn't, it'd actually be like a really cool structure if they made it like each vignette kind of like yeah. is a new full moon. Uh, so you
1: get like two or three nights of a full moon at most?
2: Is that what it is? Okay, I think so. Yeah, it didn't. I'm not a
1: werewolf, man. Don't, I mean, just. Yeah, you
2: seem to get a little, uh, sweaty anytime I, uh, bring this up. I'm not. I'm not uh, I'm not. I also noticed when, um, Gary Busey, like, hands him the keys to the, to the silver bullet or something. The Mark 2? Yeah, he goes, uh, uh, can be Fourth of July in September it's like they over yeah
1: they I do think some, uh, yeah it had to be a, a ADR right? that, yeah but why why did they feel the need to push it forward when clearly it did seem like it was meant to be for the July cuz the fireworks got canceled and then he gave him fireworks
2: yeah so what would have that line been it's for the July in July like they is o- it
1: because they just in the editing were realizing like oh you can't have this many kills with the amount of full moons we've got from they were saying it was right before school was getting out.
2: And yeah, I also read a mix-up that there was like a mix-up online that about – or online they were talking about a mix-up with the trees in, on the bridge being different from another oh, thing they shot. So I maybe it was that. also like trying to nail down the – it was a little bit of a silver bullet. You missed the mark with that bullet. shooter um, bullet. Uh. Now um, – you know how we mentioned the ABC network connection to Stephen King previously? We did. Um yeah, I was just like, oh, even if although with the exception of sometimes they come back, which I think was on CBS. But uh
1: oh, the Ernie Anderson. thing.
2: yeah, but yeah. yeah, that um um ABC makes all the primetime made for TV Stephen King adaptations, but they also just like will air the Stephen King movies that they didn't even have anything to do with. Hmm. Uh, And I remember like a a boost literacy campaign that only aired on ABC where it was like somebody walking down a library aisle and then Stephen King's like reading a book.
1: Oh, that does sound familiar.
2: So I don't know, but this adds to my theory. You got three stars of ABC in this movie. You got the guy from Twin Peaks Mm -hmm. who early 90s He's on ABC Saturday nights. You wait one night later, ABC Sunday nights, you got the dad from Life Goes On, who's the gun store owner and the angry citizen. Oh, yeah. And uh, then Terry O'Quinn from, from Lost. Lost. So if you just like love the stars of ABC. If for only that reason, you should watch Silver Bullet. We're listening, America. You asked for it. We put your favorite American Broadcasting Corporation stars
1: (laughs) into one motion picture. This summer, Silver Bullet takes place through all the seasons. Don't ask.
2: (laughs) I like that. uh, He would be tasked with having to (laughs) ask for forgiveness. Full disclosure
1: We we fucked up the timeline
2: There's some continuity problems Free bag of popcorn ABC.
1: <laughs> Keep your mouth shut You got a free bag of popcorn
2: uh, Okay so then this One of the first scenes Is the sister getting Scared with a snake And then falling into mud Like getting teased by the boys By a yeah, boy Yeah And I was like Uh, is this Stephen King or Mark Twain? (laughs) He scared me with a snake and I fell in a mud hole. (laughs) Huck
1: Finn, you are incorrigible.
2: Huck Finn, you're more incorrigible than Cujo.
1: When he brings her money to get new pantyhose and she says, I can get a pair of legs at the pharmacy. Do you (gasps) remember legs?
2: Legs, yes. L apostrophe E-A-A-G-G-S? E-G-G-S. Because they, they came in they like came an,
1: in a big plastic egg. And I think they, in some ways, I, I would just love my mom getting those. They were like cheap pantyhose that you could get at the drugstore. And they save were Star online. Wars pods. Yeah. They were they like, were like I had all these eggs to play with, these plastic eggs. Yeah. I
2: buried them in my backyard. I would put things in a leg container and then like bury oh, it in our backyard really? and then dig it back up later.
1: Oh, that's nice. And hatched.
2: God, so legs are just not made anymore. I guess huh?
1: not because I asked Amanda and she didn't quite remember them.
2: It's almost like that movie refers to them almost like they're Kleenex. Like, I'm just going to get legs. Like, you know exactly what she's talking about. Yeah, I
1: think that that's what they were.
2: I loved that scene so yeah, much. I do too. No. Now, as you and me as little brothers yeah. to big sisters, now we all know a movie has to begin with a cozy, World, a cozy, dynamic, cozy characters so that when the horror comes, it freaks it out. My God, I love a cozy uh, – the coziness is based on a brother and sister relationship. I know. I know. And a sweet one at that. I, I I feel like – because my sister and I had a
1: very contentious relationship mm-hmm. growing up. Now we're as close as you can be. Yeah. But the thing I don't know that – maybe I have, but I don't think I've told about my Halloween trauma saga is that I got so scared that I would go – try to sleep in her room oh, and she uh. wouldn't let me. So I learned that quickly. And so I would grab a, a bath towel, sneak into her room, sleep on the floor by her doorway in the bath towel, and then get up pre-dawn and go back to my bed. Oh, so she never knew God, I was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he creeps in, in this movie, I'm like, oh, is he going to sleep on her floor? <gasps>
2: Cause that's what we do. Yeah. yeah. That's
1: That's normal.
2: Cause that's so sweet. Cause it's like, you're like I'd rather be cold and uncomfortable than then have than to dead. possibly be dead. Yeah, by I think most the hand people of would choose that. Yes. I think so. Yeah. Um, the um, yeah, I, I you said that a lot. There's a lot of booger talk. She says, "I hate you, you booger." Mm-hmm. I love Fast Times has a really good part too, where the uh, Sean Penn's little brother comes in and is like. Dad says you got to go to school, you booger. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it is accurate then. (laughs) Uh, Corey Haim is great. Yeah. Uh, This is when we meet him. He's got a motorized wheelchair. Did you know about the motorized wheelchair before this movie? Before seeing it?
1: It did make sense. Like it feels very Steven Spielberg to have a kind of double meaning for something like that.
2: But also Stephen King, that hot rod that he would be like, I thought you were going to say Stephen King. Because it would be like, he would be like, Let's make a wheelchair be like a hot rod. Oh yeah, motorized car. Yeah, row, yeah. Row, row. I'm giving him Tim Allen's voice. <laughs> uh, um, and then the mom and the the mom's in it more than the dad. Yeah, but the, it's not too much of a family thing. You get a little taste of their dynamic in the car when they're driving back home. Um, but I bought into that. Yeah, dynamic. Me too. Yeah,
1: mom was a little. Stern. I guess she had to be, but you did want her to just relax a little.
2: Yeah. Um. And then also just the like sister who would be have misgivings about their family having to operate around a little brother already, a little sibling to caretake. Yeah. Yeah. I just I bought that. Uh. The dynamic of that family. Um. Now the next kill is the um is is the aforementioned furry hand on the lattice with the uh uh, uh, uh yeah this is <laughs> this is maybe the only part of the movie that threw me
1: for a loop a bit of just this woman didn't have it bad enough and then she's got to get killed by a werewolf
2: yeah cuz she's seen previously through the the Jane sees her in the trees, get broken up with a guy who she's like, it's your baby. And then this woman.
1: He I, says, it's your
2: oven, not my bread. Oh, boy. Something like that. Do you think Gary Busey was on set? I was like, yes, you should improvise <laughs> this. This is a good one. Yeah,
1: hey, uh, you don't mind me punching this up a little <laughs> bit. Do
2: you? Uh, I did like the just the trope of uh, that person is talking to a framed picture in their bedroom. And it's like, it's so funny when you see that in a movie, because it's like, she <laughs> it was like a framed picture of their headshot, the actor's headshot. <laughs> yes. Always the actor's headshot. Yeah. And then it's just obviously a mechanism for that person to talk out loud their thoughts. Yeah. And also, so you know, who they're talking to when they're talking their thoughts out loud. And it's just like the sweatiest thing. I know. I love it.
1: This is, Everett McGill, when he's doing his kind of like villain reveal, sort of insinuates that his kills are like he he didn't want her to commit suicide because she'd go to hell. So if he killed her, she could go to heaven. But then is that for all of these kills?
2: I wish they had explored that more because when I was re-watching it with the eye or watching it with the eyes of knowing it was the priest, I was like, it it tracked that it was like, he seems to be killing sinners and reprobates. Yeah. Like, oh, he's not killing her because she's going to commit the sin of suicide. She committed the sin of pregnancy out of wedlock. Right. Or the guy in the, Arnie was killed on the train tracks because he's- uh, An alkie, uh, he he's turned his way uh, from a life of God, and he's wayward. But everybody, I notice actually, you could kind of. But Corey Haim, mm, this is just uh, self-preservation, I guess. Yeah, once he realized the, I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting because that's sort of like the um, subtext of slasher movies that people think is like the killers are killing them for sinful like you drank you smoked you had sex or something so to make that kind of like i wish that would have been more of a reveal that it was like
1: i I thought he was saying if i have to kill i might as well kill a woman who's going to commit suicide so she can go to heaven not because she's a sinner
2: right yeah like he,
1: he still wanted to do some kind of good or something
2: yeah i guess it's different than what i'm even talking about but i'm not sure i wanted it to be like a dexter that. thing oh yeah where like the priest hears the confessions oh
1: that's and then he good.
2: goes okay this person is worthy to be killed that would
1: have made this a, pr- a pretty much perfect
2: movie yeah there's somehow that has to get that's like bold revealed claim, after but- <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thank you though <laughs> Uh, I mean the movie being perfect. Yes. As much as I liked it. Um, I love the shot of the wolf like bursting through her window though. I thought that looked really cool. Yeah. Um, Because we've been a little, not unfair, but we've just been talking about the dodginess of the effects. So I'll give love when I liked it. How's also
1: little Granny coming up with a revolver that she doesn't even get to use. We just like, why does she... she doesn't have to have a gun. She can still come up there and cry. It, it doesn't
2: was... have to be a mechanism that shoots silver bullets. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, then it does go to the first time you meet Terry Quinn which I thought was kind of an odd introductory scene. It ends with the guy going like, I can't believe you said fuck off to that guy. He's like, no, I made sure he hung up before. I, I said loved it. that. I loved it. Cause he's, you could, is this supposed <laughs> to be a He's like milk toast or something. Or?
1: I think just that he's like, he's got to toe the line in this town. You know, he may be the long arm of the law, but it's out of his reach.
2: Well, and then the next scene goes even, to, even more strangely kind of edited thing. It's just like, What's it called media res when you cut into something right in the in middle? Media res, yeah. Of like a bar brawl or like a yeah. fight between the dad from Life Goes On and then the the deputy guy, yeah. the sheriff. like
1: Also, what's this town tax report where you get to know everybody's tax arrears?
2: <laughs> this movie's like, I don't know if it was like the theme of the movie or just the preoccupation of the writer. There's so much talk of like I pay your taxes, or like the debt mean dad, in reference to Corey Haynes, like, I'm paying for his welfare, for him not to- Yeah, that was weird. It's like, was and this just in the zeitgeist?
1: We should electrocute them all? <laughs> yeah! And you're telling me that guy- Cares enough to have a greenhouse? <laughs> I was so... The weirdest thing for that was not how horribly <laughs> melodramatically evil he was, but d- this guy just runs how, a greenhouse?
0: How could this man have
1: a green thumb yeah. when he has such a black heart? You talk to your plants that way? <laughs>
2: He does enter the pantheon of mean dads, though we yeah. have watched in all these movies. I huh? know Halloween
1: six, five,
2: four—the irredigibly mean dad in yeah. this. Um, yeah, no kidding. I man. mean, there was a mean dad in Dead Zone too, yeah. and Stephen King wrote yeah. Creepshow that we mentioned, and that has a really mean dad. So, did Stephen King have a mean dad, or was he a mean dad? I mean, The Shining would tell us both. I don't think he was a mean dad.
1: I don't think so either.
2: Um, uh, His children though, his books are wicked. Um, Okay. Okay. Uh, Now this is when uh, in the next scene, uh, maybe my favorite line in the movie, Corey, he going, I like school. (laughs) Um, Okay. Apropos. Now we meet um, um, the mean dad. He's got a gal friend at school. He's walking home. And uh, that never goes anywhere, does it? The, the No. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. Uh, they seem to really have something. I know.
1: The movie should end with him getting married. Well, maybe that's why he doesn't narrate. He's on a lifelong
2: honeymoon.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sequel uh, Enter Busey. Silver anniversary bullet. <laughs> yeah, that's coming up, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so Busey enters. Enter Busey. And he's, yes, the scene you mentioned before, that seemed like ad lib City where he's playing cards. Yeah. And he tells that hee-haw, jackass joke. <sighs> yeah. And it's so loud. I know. And it cuts to the mom... And, you know, they've been trying to establish that she doesn't like her brother because he's on his third divorce and he's, uh, you know, uh, life is screwed up. But the way they cut to her, it just seems like she's like, his jokes are so annoying. Yeah. And you kind of
1: get it. Like he's great for a kid, but she has to hang out with that too.
2: (laughs) Oh, boy. What's
1: the story with Busey? Because I always heard, and correct me if this is not right, that – he had a motorcycle accident and got brain damage, and that's kind of when he started to be a more of erratic personality on sets to put it mildly yeah. so was that prior after, to the, this? It was no. after this no so he he going into this accident had some
2: yeah the, the i think where he was at this point in his life was that he was um in recovery oh so he might just be like, that's why the, um I guess he had gained weight was right. that he was that's right. eating now that he wasn't using. right uh, So then I think the accident happened after this, but that, I remember that being my first experience watching Silver Bullet, remembering the scene of him getting the kid on the thing because isn't it with Gary Busey, he was anti-helmet?
1: Yeah, I believe so. And then
2: he got into an accident. It mixed him up. He wasn't wearing a helmet. And then that's when Busey really kind of became full-blown Busey. Blown Busey. Yeah. But it's weird now to watch this scene with him, like, with motorcycles and put a kid I on know. a motorcycle. Like, I half expect a scene of the kid being like, should I put him on a helmet? He's like, no, oh. goddammit. That again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Busey, I guess, was just eccentric pre-accident. But it just... Wow. Because yeah. I think was the accident after Lethal Weapon. Or was was did, it after point break because yes nor well, I can mm, yeah that. let's look it up the I'll share this tidbit when I typed in Busey into my phone when I was taking notes it would auto-correct it to buddy which is interesting because he played buddy Holly what do you when are you telling me autophone that this is dumb
1: uh, uh, let's see
2: that that actually has no connection.
1: 1988. So it was pre-Point Blank.
2: So after Lethal Weapon, before Point Blank.
1: And in 96, he publicly announced that he was a Christian, saying, I'm proud to tell Hollywood I'm a Christian. For the first time, I'm now free to be myself. Busey cites the motorcycle accident, as well as a 1995 cocaine overdose as events that strengthen his Christian faith. Hmm.
2: The first time I remember eccentric Busey was remember when Greg Kinnear had that he took over later, the the oh, Bob yeah. Costa show. Yeah. I wonder if this is online, because I just still remember what the first time I watched it. Um, Greg Kinnear also told me f- the first O.J. Simpson joke that I ever heard, and I was like, you can do that? Little did I know the next, my life would just be nothing but O.J. Simpson jokes, but I was like shocked that he'd make a joke about the murder, oh, Greg Kinnear. Yeah. But he had Gary Busey on, and Gary Busey's like, his he wanted to play music or something, and there's like a spotlight on the his acoustic guitar, and he's like, I just see all these magical beams of light shining down on that acoustic guitar right now. I can even see it. And Greg Kinnear makes some kind of snotty joke. And I remember thinking, like, oh, Gary Busey's a joke. And then, also be careful, Kinnear.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> to add to more Phil Hartman SL ear sketches, he did a funny Gary Busey sketch in late eighties SNL where he's like Gary Busey's helmets and like the helmets just keep getting progressively bigger. (laughs) Oh geez. (laughs) With all these Stephen King movies, if we could find the uh, The parallel corresponding SNL sketch. Um, I think it's possible. We should
1: make that a goal.
2: No, I feel like I see this all the time in movies, this trope, but I've never experienced it. The like troubled uncle, who the family doesn't like, but the nephew or nieces really like. I get the troubled acting. Yes. I get the troubled uncle thing, but I feel like the kids never like the troubled uncle. No. The troubled uncle doesn't usually like kids. No, especially not. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm the one who gets to act childish. <laughs> are you getting on my territories. <laughs> and now, once you start maturing, it makes me even look more like a kid. God damn it. I built him gas powered
1: wheelchair. <laughs> I, I must love him to put him in that kind of danger.
2: I'd just be curious if any of our listeners did have, like, no, I we had an uncle that the family hated, but we had a special bond. Oh, I just uh, don't think that's ever existed. No, the wayward brother. But the family ties with this was that Tom Hanks? Yeah. Yeah yeah um so uh cory says goodnight to the uncle and he's going up on the, the motorized seat on the steps did you notice cory just puts his hand on his chin no as he's going oh, up. yes yes that's right yeah now you notice he does it later in the movie when it's time to come up with a plan <laughs> he puts his little hand underneath his chin it's so cute oh, so does he have an upstairs wheelchair and a downstairs wheelchair like he gets oh. out of that
1: uh, yeah Polly Holiday Gremlins lady carrier
2: <laughs> Yeah um and then the when he gets the other one and it's called Silver Bullet right So is his first one The first one's called Silver Bullet too Yeah Okay so Leslie and I were watching it and I said kind of weird that the wheelchair's named Silver Bullet with a town with a werewolf. And then Leslie's like, I think he's making a reference to that by calling the wheelchair, the silver bullet. Like, haha, oh. you think a werewolf's out there. But if the first one's called silver bullet, then that doesn't make any
1: sense. I guess it's just, yeah. Like the better updated version of silver bullet, the original silver
2: bullet. But he already has a wheelchair named silver bullet before there's even any yeah.
1: werewolf talk. Uh-huh. Kind of a coincidence. A big one. <laughs> Do you remember that, that musician sparkle horse? Yeah. Wasn't his name because he was in a wheelchair that was his wheelchair? Sparkle horse? Ah. Am I making that up?
2: I didn't know that. I think it is. Um Yeah. Because a silver bullet. Most bullets aren't silver, huh? You they're, have to like lead. Yeah, so okay. I love that sequence later in the movie where they show it get made, huh? Yeah. It's that's pretty, pretty cool. Mission prep, man. Give yeah. It Give it to me. <laughs> uh, so then it does go to that mean dad. Yeah. Um, he's watching wrestling and the guy gets kicked and he goes, Oh, that hurts my parts. I know, I know. Improvise, <laughs> perhaps. I think Busey's like, you guys don't mind if I hang out for a bit, do
0: you?
2: Hey, buddy, you're just killing me. I'm standing off to Saturn. Clearly, you should be saying, <laughs> oh, that hurt my parts. You can have this one. I've
0: been
1: sitting on it for three weeks. <laughs> I, knew, <laughs> I knew an opportunity would arise, my
2: friend. So, then it cuts to the backyard where that greenhouse is. Yeah. And... When I saw that shot and just got the vibe of this like misty shack with kind of garish red colors and a growling sound, when I saw that, I was like, this is why we'll rewatch this movie. To get to that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then that whole sequence after that, him walking through the backyard and the misty into the greenhouse. I just love that atmosphere. I agree.
1: All your favorite movies do have that moment of like, just get me to this point point in the movie yeah,
2: take me away I don't know because it's so emblematic of like yeah the vibe and the atmosphere but if it's just like the feeling of it is great
1: I feel that way I think like Return of the Jedi is just just get me to Endor I just love the trees the speeder bikes get me to Endor it's not like anything else in it is a chore I'm just saying that's just The peak for me is the right when they get to Endor and those first speeder bike. Yes.
2: I mean, yeah. Listen to our commentary. We were all about that speeder bike race. Yeah. And it is nice when a a third act has something really great going for it that keeps you like excited for the end.
1: And Star Wars when they get in Stormtrooper suits on the Death Star and there's just all those
2: like blaster battles.
1: Oh, God. I was at a cabin a few Uh weeks ago and the weird shape of the A-frame, like the whole house had a silhouette of like an arrowhead. So it was A-frame, but then it tapered down from the A-frame to the bottom. So it had this like three foot section of wall that was at a 45 degree angle going out Uh and up. And then the A-frame 45 degree angle back. And it was just like the detention block on the death star. And I was thinking (sighs) if I was a kid here, I'd be like blasting a hole in there going, I don't care what you smell Uh, (laughs) into the chute fly boy.
2: (sighs) Oh my gosh. Kids would just want houses bought purely for the setup for like playtime and pretend. Oh God. Uh, Oh, that's really great. The, uh, um, uh, you just mentioned like when they put the stormtrooper thing on or a, a fun thing in a third act. um, I know I really love a movie when it gets the point where things start wrapping up and I'm like, I don't want it to end. Don't go. Yeah. Like when in back to the future, when he's done playing Johnny five, Johnny five, (laughs) Johnny five, when he's done portraying Johnny five, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: oh uh, when he when he dresses up at Johnny Five and plays Johnny Be Good. Uh, and he's running to get to the time machine. I'm like, oh the movie's almost over. Yeah. Um Johnny Five. No. Okay. Um so I really like the stalk and the kill all through the greenhouse. Yeah. Um so The werewolf bursts through the floor and grabs him, which I thought was cool. But then did you notice the floorboard goes through the person's, through that mean dad's chest?
1: I don't think I did, no. So it
2: it brings him up. It kind of, like, tears him apart. And then his torso falls onto the, like, board and goes through his body. But I was thinking, like, what if the town autopsy got, like, uh, is an idiot? And he's, like, he was killed only by a board. Yeah, yeah no signs of any other activity just the board what kind of wood was it real splintery oh okay. well, that'd get him if it wasn't a splintery i would have doubted it but um yes and then the, i saw the newspaper with 1980 get it together silver bullet also another little get get it together so this town curfew happens and i love a town has a curfew. I so love it. So a guy putting free shotguns signs <laughs> in the windows or kids getting collected by their parents and brought into the house yeah. or grannies like shuffling. Yeah. That had a lot of like Dino's touches of Halloween two and three. I know. I agree. It reminded me of Halloween three a lot. Me too. Yeah. I was watching That the music well, that,
1: and it also feels like the town from what is the town in Halloween three? Santa.
2: Oh, Santa um, Rosa or what is Rosa, it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but I did think it was weird. It goes to that whole curfew sequence, and then it cuts to um, Marty playing with that kid on I, the tree. It was real weird, yeah.
1: That scene should have happened before the curfew. I know, because everybody's so concerned, and they are just not at all concerned.
2: And they like walk off with the kid being like, I'll go and... I'll get back home later. It and is like
1: they edited this whole movie based on what leaves were on the tree at the time of year. <laughs> so I didn't care what the chronology of events was. It was just,
2: <laughs> we got to get this
1: seasonally accurate.
2: <laughs> some, uh, some weird tree guy was like the continuity <laughs> department. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hey, the uh, leaves are different. I was like, okay, Terry, calm so down. you're the new script
1: supervisor? Well, I'm an arborist, but I'm doing this as a favor. <laughs> uh, Okay, but you know how to do scripture supervising? Oh, I fucking sure do. And I know how to do it right, unlike these other assholes. (laughs) These
2: assholes, these clowns I watch who (laughs) make movies with leaves changing the whole time. I mean, I'll hand it to Halloween.
1: At least they scattered some fall leaves around, but get me in there, we would have done it right the first time. I don't care about your movie friend. I care about the leaves.
2: The, uh... Yeah, they, uh... Um. Well, he seemed to definitely be mindful of the tree that the kid was playing <laughs> uh, Then we go back to this cozy bar. Yeah. And hey, I don't care if a cop and a townie are arguing. If you got wood paneling in your bar, it's cozy. Agreed. Um, also, people should go to our mailbag. We, we talk about a question is asked about cozy bar, fictional right. cozy bars. I wish I had known about the Silver Bullet Bar. I would have thrown it as a content. Yeah, same with the
1: Buccaneer from Halloween 3, right? Yes. Not the bar from Halloween Kills, though. No. no. I don't want karaoke at my cozy bar. <laughs> I want it to be cozy okey. Yeah, or no, that was an open mic, wasn't it? Wasn't... Yeah, where you tell ghost stories. <laughs> I don't know. Like every town has probably had a... <laughs> tragedy so imagine if you're doing like you you, you live in bray california i'm sure there's been a triple murder in bray california and someone gets up and is like you know 30 some years ago 40 years ago yes. these three people were murdered okay all right buddy um, ne- next
2: having up, a good time <laughs> trying to have a good time buddy
1: next up is the obscene jesters improv troupe <laughs> Um, And uh, Cafe Deluxe is going to be performing their new acoustic hit, "Cleverly Beverly."
2: Is this all real?
1: (laughs) I went played an open mic one time, and there was a little acoustic duo that played a song called "Cleverly Beverly." (laughs)
2: <laughs> I wish now instead of seeing uh, any performance of a movie uh, or <laughs> Silver, Silver Bullet on opening weekend, I want to see Cleverly Beverly. Well,
1: there was also one I went to where this girl, she must have been like 18 and she just came out with a keyboard pressed like play for like a Casio drum beat just and she went, I'm the bomb. I'm the bomb. I was first in Vietnam and I partied with Saddam. I'm a bomb.
2: Oh my God. That's cool. Ball. I
1: know. And she just did that forever. And it was, I'm looking back. Was it and I'm true?
2: Like, did you look into what she was saying? Was I, that, I didn't fact check it. She, I don't know if she was the bomb. Or the Vietnam stuff or Saddam? She seemed too young to be first mm. in Vietnam ever. I prize authenticity most in music. I so I don't know now I if I know. I only listen
1: it. to literal lyrics. <laughs> yeah.
2: Was I was telling you about how it's so funny that, like, non. Literal lyrics were so mind-blowing when Dylan and the Beatles came along that the only reaction the public could have is like Charles Manson be like, They're codes to kill uh, people. Yeah, that's if a song isn't literally about a bicycle built for two, <laughs> <laughs> then it's telling me to murder. No, um, I never thought of that. <laughs> so then uh then oh the at uh, this bar comes in that weird bald dad in the suit yeah. with the mustache? He looks like riffraff from
0: uh, <laughs> Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror, yeah.
2: That actor's very strange. Is it,
1: I think he's because he's probably like 29 Trying and they made play. him look old or something.
2: Yeah. Because, yeah, he's like, my son was torn apart. Yeah. <laughs> He's also like, yes, shut up. Don't talk
1: about killing the yeah. werewolf. Now listen to the monologue about how I think you should go kill the werewolf.
0: Were they
2: also trying to say that, like, he's the only guy in this in a suit in this town? Is it supposed to be, like, because he's a businessman, he wasn't on top of his son getting back in time for a curfew? Like, <sighs>
0: I probably uh, not. Or I'm
2: more
1: like he's like well, because Brady was kind of a a brat, right? I think yeah. he was the rich snob kid.
2: Okay, so and this is a rich guy When a snob kid. He's got
1: power when the rich talk.
2: The that's why the reverend killed him. Right. A snotty boy deserves twenty two lashings <laughs> <laughs> with teeth. Uh, lashings Then, um, they go to the church funeral there. Um,
1: okay, this is a setup for the funniest thing in the movie to me. What was it? Well, you have the death of Brady in the funeral. Uh-huh. Then all the townsfolk go out, get slaughtered, and there's a smash cut to the multiple coffins back at the church. <laughs> it was really funny.
2: I didn't notice that. Yeah, I just I comic see.
1: timing of just like, we're back at the church, and now uh, there's a bunch of
2: coffins. Uh, that's a, I, uh, What I was cluing in on was just the um, – I was overtaken by the like the earth tones of this church, the deep reds and yeah. browns and stuff. Uh like I half expected the uh, the altar to be made of corduroy. Uh! <laughs> I wrote that down there for you, buddy. <laughs> altar made of corduroy. I wrote that down. Oh,
1: that's a church I could believe in.
2: <laughs> oh, man, the cozy church. Oh. If this podcast just goes a little bit further, we're going to be running the Church of Cozy. And, and all like the
1: pews are like, they're the velour. velour. But then the seats <laughs> are like puffer jacket material.
2: Beanbags? <laughs> <gasps>
1: Why don't I make throw pillars out of like puffer, 70s puffer jacket vests, <gasps> you know?
2: Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Like the um, Northern Exposure DVD sets. They had the little winter jacket. Okay, yeah. That's not exactly what you're thinking. I'm
1: just hemorrhaging brilliant ideas on this episode. Your Amish sleeper cell, your elderly (sighs) men on a mission, and puffer jacket throw pillows. If any of those happen after this podcast, I'm coming for you.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. Watch your back.
1: And if one person does all three. Yeah, if you uh, try to
2: connect them. Yeah. No, 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 no. But also I'll know
1: for sure you got it from here.
2: Yeah, and um, there's a target on your back because we're after you.
1: Yeah, we're the greatest podcast ever made. Uh,
2: Do you? uh, I got bumped up here somehow. Um, Okay, okay. So then um, they're in the church. Um, The priest says, the face of the beast always becomes known. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Now, Marty later is talking to his uncle and I noticed the ADR him saying like, he says something like on camera, it's an animal. And then they go to ADR and he's like, it's like a werewolf or something. Mm. Um, When the mob is forming at the bar, I was a little unclear. Like is Marty alone in thinking it's a werewolf or when does this town, when they're forming at the bar, are they going out just to kill Is it like when people go to the streets to find the person who's been killing the town? Or do they think it's a werewolf?
1: I didn't get the sense that they knew it was a werewolf. I think-
2: Just vigilante.
1: Vigilantism or a monster or something.
2: Okay. Yeah. Got it. But it's not necessarily a werewolf. Marty's the one who's kind of most clued into this. I guess so, yeah. I see. Um and then, yeah, the priest trying to stop the mob and that beautiful sunset. Mm. I also love the shot of all that mob of hunters just in a misty forest. Yeah, that was great.
1: What did that remind me of?
2: Um, it did look kind of like, it looked very like Joe Dante to me. It just looked like Twilight Zone, the movie, like some of the segments combined.
1: <laughs> yeah, or like, I think there's an episode of Land of the Lost where... Oh, cool. They went into a Sleestak cave and there was just like-
2: um, Well, there's a part where they go, it's under the fog, which yeah, I thought was really cool. It's such
1: a good thing. And I think there was a thing where they're like walking in knee high fog and you don't know what's underneath it and you hear dinosaur roars or something. Cool. Did I ever tell you about the time I saw Phantom of the Opera and they had they, there was a scene where like the Phantom's escaping with Christine and and- what's the hero guy's name, Christian, I think, uh-huh. is pursuing them. So this production, I think it was like the big one at the Onsen with like Robert Guillaume after oh. he replaced Michael Crawford, I think. Okay. So they do a really cool effect and they had just like covered the stage floor in fog. So it looked like they were under the catacombs in the water. Oh, uh-huh. And so they did a little miniature boat with the Phantom and Christine as a model in the Far upstage back so it looked like it would cross ah. left to right then a larger one with doubles of phantom and christine would cross middle stage right to left and then once that was off then the full one with the actual act the two main actors cool. go- yes except the second one with the with the doubles stalled in the middle and the other one was already on its way <laughs> and so Phantom and Christine met their doubles halfway and like the du- oh. the doubles on the more upstage one just kind of froze <laughs>
2: looked away like just don't look at him
1: don't see me you can't see my future self it'll re- ruin the continuum
2: what if like <laughs> the actors felt like they had to like improvise a story not to have that work it's like well I guess we've entered the parallel dimensions all <laughs> well, the lyrics have to
0: change now
1: hey phantom I'm working this side of the street I just watched this Davy Duck cartoon uh-huh. where he's conning this dog and trying to get into his house while all the other du- ducks fly south for uh-huh. the winter and he, he doesn't <laughs> Work. So he goes to another house, and a duck comes out and goes. This is what he says. I love it so much. He slaps Daphne and he goes, "Hey, I'm working this side of the street. You crazy?
2: <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so the side of the street is that like a prostitute?
1: I think it was that, or like a salesman, like a got Fuller it, Brush got salesman. It, got it, got yeah, it. you're probably you're even, crazy. You're crazy."
2: That's Calling somebody You're crazy That's crazy You're crazy crazy. Um Now Uh uh, Um So Uh Then they go It's under the fog The non-tyranny Lookalike Running away With his back to (laughs) camera Um Now I really love This nightmare sequence Yeah Uh when it first was beginning, I didn't know it was a nightmare and it was just filled with like a haunted, like exhausted group of people like swaying and singing. That was really creepy.
1: Yeah. At first I didn't know it was either. And I was like, is this something they would do during amazing grace?
0: And yeah. Yeah.
2: It also just seemed like, Oh, uh, this town is like, has collectively gone crazy together. Yeah. And now they're all coming to the church. Like when the movie took that, I thought it was going down like a really cool path. It's fine that it was a nightmare, but
1: did you read in the research that there was one guy that didn't want to get out of the makeup? The actors didn't want to get out of his makeup because he would go to a sex party and wanted to stay dressed in it. Cause the other sex people liked him to be. In.
2: <laughs> I love that detail. Like everybody else was dying to get out of their costume and makeup. And this guy was like, keep it on brother.
1: Oh, Lawrence Tierney.
2: <laughs> <laughs> also, the guy at the sex party was like, dressed as the wolf. I could see that being popular. Sure. I mean, you got to shake it up. <laughs> oh. You're crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. Uh, I did kind of wonder at this point. I was like, where's Marty and his sister yeah. and the uncle? It's just kind of, they lost them for a bit.
1: The, the timing's all off on this thing.
2: Yeah. It's two movies. Yeah. Well, and then it cut to them. Now the family at this, like, closed down fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my answer, I got my answer. I was like, where are they at? Oh, they're here. Yeah. But, um, then this is the whole sequence with, the uh, getting the new, um, wheelchair and Busey in this Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Okay. So the thing I wanted to say about, I thought he kind of had a look there like, um, uh, Brad Pitt in once upon a time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, that this comparison, uh, uh, I don't know if you heard what. When Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, uh, you remember the sequence where Brad Pitt's character goes to the uh, Spawn Ranch. Yeah. And I remember when I was watching the movie thinking, uh, spoiler alert, I was just like, uh, what's going to happen to him? It makes sense that he's going to die because I didn't know what the rest of the movie was and it made sense in my mind. Oh, he'll die and then brad pitt has to come to either avenge him or rescue him you just i started playing out my mind and then tarantino later after everybody saw the movie was like oh what was so great about that sequence making it is on every level it makes sense that brad pitt's character is supposed to die at this point because nothing's really happened in the movie and he's a character who is disposable and you could understand like, he's so beloved. They made him so beloved that like he has to die now. And he said, I kind of got the idea or it reminded me of when I saw silver bullet and he's like, I loved Gary Busey's character so much that it made me so scared at the end of the movie that he could die because it made sense that he would, because he's the kind uncle. Oh my God. So then when I saw him pop up dressed up like (laughs) a That's amazing. Oh my God. Uh, uh, But it is true. More specifically, I also thought they make him so beloved right before he goes, now I got to get out of here, kid. Yeah. And then it cuts to the point of view shot of him on the bridge it wasn't so much, is Gary Busey going to die in this movie? It's like, oh my God, if he's the werewolf in this movie, oh, I'm going to be so sad. Geez.
1: Yeah. there's the, Is it that scene where I wrote, Busey's so good when he calms down a little bit. There's one scene where he's just kind of mellow yeah. and just acting and just playing the role. <laughs> and
2: he's so good. Maybe the director like clued into that. And so like before action, he'd be like, Gary I bet you couldn't run around that barn 12 times in under <laughs> 10 minutes. Now
1: let's do a rehearsal. We're not rolling. And uh, just half-ass it for me. You know, you don't have to just mark it. You do phone it in. You don't have to go big on this.
2: And cut. That's a wrap. Uh, I only did that one rehearsal take, and I was pretty tired from running around that barn 12 times. Like a pole cat with a cat up its pole. <laughs> uh, the – um. Then this is the sequence I remember. The motorized, this music is crazy. Yeah. It's like right, right. very eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then no helmet. <laughs> ADR in September. What's going on with this movie? Um, then uh, the werewolf, the firework in his eye looked like a bear, but also looked like the reverend. Okay. So then it cuts to Busey waking up in bed with a gal. Do you think that was to make us know that he's not the werewolf or to even make us more think like, oh, he went out and was a werewolf and then he picked up a gal and took her home?
1: No, I think it's uh, the only way to shoot Busey this morning is to go to him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the woman he was with was like beautiful. She was like cool looking and stuff. I'll
1: bet he was like, hey, somehow instrumental in that.
2: Yeah, I met the expression a lot when trying to get that woman cast and that scene set up. The expression uh Busey most used with the crew and the director was, help me out here. <laughs> Technically, it's my contract. Um, Now was my favorite part of the movie, I think. I loved... This very creepy, suspenseful sequence of trying to find the guy with the one eye. Me too.
1: And the girl, the fact that the girls, like, they all have a role kind of, you know, and she's got this ruse of collecting for the charity.
2: I love that. I did too. Yeah. And it was really, really creepy. Yeah. When they would like slowly like pan around like somebody's face or have their face enter and then move their eye. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. I I think it was, uh, I liked this more but the thing that came second to that was the sequence where they're making the silver bullet. I just thought that was so unusual and strange yeah. and uh, got me pumped up. Um, then the reveal of the, um, Oh, and that was also the sequence that felt most like, uh, blue velvety to mm. me is when she was going around to those creepy town. Uh, but, um, uh, the, uh, then the reveal of the one-eyed reverend. So now everybody knows, oh, this is the guy. Yeah. Um, When she was in that like shack of like cans. Yeah. Did that just like bring you back to your childhood? Not exactly. What do you mean? Oh my God. I just remember in the eighties, like that, those specific cans, the way they looked, like old Diet Coke cans. Oh yeah, that for
1: sure. I thought you meant you lived in a can shack.
2: No, but I just remember like (laughs) going to the grocery store when you go to recycles and you just look over and there'd just be a giant bag of like Mountain Dew cans. Absolutely, yeah. And it was always like maybe a little sticky or kind of like buggy. Sticky and stinky. Yeah. 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 Uh, I could feel that when she was in that shack. Forget about a scary priest. I wouldn't yeah. want him to be around those sticky cans. <laughs> um, I do like the idea of a werewolf priest. I do too. Especially
1: um, preaching, knowing he's the werewolf. Yeah.
2: Because yeah. um, I think the werewolf can be read different ways, but the reading I like is the Jekyll and Hyde kind of one that like, to be a person is you're struggling being civilized, but you also have this ancient animal stuff inside you. And so a priest being the figure of that, of being like the ultimate person who's trying to wrestle with God. Right. God or Yeah. Yeah. Really worried. And also, yeah, the hypocrisy of like a priest telling you like a predator and uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And then also the predator aspect. Yeah. Yeah. so then when the brother and sister work together to on that ransom note? Yeah. <laughs> I love that sequence. Also, I thought when it said, Why don't you kill yourself? It said, Why don't, when I first looked at it, I thought it said, Why don't you crawl yourself? Oh please, I'd love to crawl myself. How do I how does one crawl oneself? Uh, if anybody's interested they should listen to our commentary for Kroll K-R-U-L-L, K-R-U-L-L. It's, uh, we didn't even do it it was just a special yeah it wasn't even commentary additional. it's on the Patreon just that's a right full it was... episode on Kroll <laughs> what a doozy and
1: if people don't for fuck's sake choose Mr. Mom for a commentary we're either gonna or we're we'll just here. end up do a
2: full episode on Mr. Mom hey a full season yeah. Minute by minute breakdown of Mr. Mom. Mr. I mean, minute. At
1: least two two minutes of that movie takes place at a Halloween. What more do
2: you want? <laughs> what could you want? Uh, the uh also, how many times do you think a ransom letter has been sent with why don't you kill yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Not
1: looking for money here.
2: Just what you off the planet. <laughs> um really funny ad lib from uh The uncle when when you were saying that this seems to be told from a kid's point of view, I slightly kind of I was exasperated a little bit by the amount of times the kids are trying to convince adults, and they're like, no. But I did think, like, maybe that is kind of like when you said told from a kid's point of view, that is, like, the scary thing yeah, about a kid not is, not like... believed, yeah. Um, yeah, and even the uncle who I love and loves me isn't believing, but... Um, Cloak and dagger. Did you? Yes. And again...
1: Let's do cloak and dagger. Come on, people! It's a scary man missing fingers or something. <laughs> yeah, what
2: more do you need? It has some really scary parts. Come on! Uh, but the Gary Busey has a line where he's like, "Ah, you're imagining. It. It's probably a broomstick." <laughs> she, she was attacked by like a wolf, man. It was that a is wolf, pure a Busey, broomstick.
1: where just out of frame is a broomstick, and so he just <laughs> says what he sees.
2: <laughs> It's probably a – they just cut down the pause between – it was probably a yeah. broomstick. Ah, man. It was probably a Panaflex camera. <laughs> and a real cute script supervisor who loves trees. <laughs> uh, the um, Then they spy on the priest and he's – do you remember those like fundraising thermometers that would get yeah. paid in town? Yeah. That's a – gone to the –
1: I know. Why where, where are those going?
2: I remember them mainly for pools. Like, small towns would have thermometers that they were painting for fundraising like, raise money for a pool. Because it made sense that it was like, temperature's getting hot. Oh. And once the temperature explodes, the thermometer explodes, we need to get a pool to cool off. I don't know. Like it doesn't make sense any other way is what I'm fucking saying.
1: <laughs> get off his back.
2: Now, I loved this very affecting scene of when Marty goes and watches the kids play baseball. Yeah. And I was thinking in a another movie, they'd put that scene in front. Right. That'd
1: be the first thing you see.
2: But what I loved is it's like, before the last act scene. Yeah. You see this kid like, oh, that's what it's about. Yeah. I didn't know that. So then you're really rooting for him when it, you want him to kick that werewolf's butt. Um uh now like most werewolf movies, this has a scene where a priest in a car starts chasing a kid in a motorized wheelchair yeah. and then confronts him in a covered bridge. That old rag. Um uh so then Marty confronts the priest, or priest confronts Marty. Um, I noticed they had to add the ADR. He's like, it'd be real bad if you fell in the river. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's what they're going for. Cause he couldn't swim. But um uh Yeah, this movie
1: had a bunch of clarifying ADR that didn't really need to be
0: needed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> then they tell the sheriff who goes investigating.
1: I wonder if that is though, because the director Dan Adius wanted it to be PG thirteen and leaned into the humor where Dino de Laurentis Dino De Laurentis uh-huh. uh, wanted it a little more gory and
2: uh and, you think that was maybe yeah. And he's
1: probably like I don't know who was fighting for clarity. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um certainly not Gary Busey. Um, now when the priest stepped out from behind the boxes In front of the sheriff, that gave me a legit scare. Yeah. I jumped when I saw it. That was good. Got to give credit where credit's due. Also,
1: Dan Adias was away on that day because his first child was being born. And so the assistant director directed that scene.
2: Well done, assistant director. Uh, Then this is, yeah, where... Oh, oh! When the priest and the cops started fighting the death, I was like, "This is every punk kid's dream." Yeah, yeah. Let them fight it out. Yeah. Uh, This is just the point where I made the observation of just like, "Oh, we didn't never get to see transformation scenes during this movie, but maybe that's okay since the effects are dodgy."
1: The end when he transforms back.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought that was the best it looked. Yeah, but it still wasn't great. No. Um. Then Uncle Red takes them to the Wizard of Weapons <laughs> uh, to get a thing made. I thought that bullet maker seemed like an early like Mark Rylance performance, <laughs> maybe, perhaps. Then the parents leave for a romantic trip. Good, oh, good timing! Best. Leaving
1: your kids behind in a
2: werewolf crisis. <laughs> On a full moon on a Halloween.
1: I mean, this is like the Haddonfield parents. Where are you people? They
2: want to go and get laid in New York, I guess, to each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Busey improv that I thought was really golden, she's just like sticking her head out going, okay, be safe, be safe. He goes, you're going to hurt your head popping it in and out like that. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Choice. That's why you're you're hiring Busey to get those. Golden props. <laughs> um, then the end sequence. Yeah, they're in the wood paneled room with a fireplace. Sign me up. Yeah. Um, I will say Busey as much as he seems to care for these kids, falling asleep with a loaded gun and then pushing a kid in a wheelchair while holding a loaded gun is a quite I'll safe. Say
1: that is Trey Busey.
2: <laughs> Trey Busey. Um. Then slow-mo Busey flying through the air. Yeah,
1: multiple times.
2: And I love the suspense of having to get the gun, but also get the bullet, yeah. and put the bullet in the gun to kill. That was yeah, very that cool. Was good. That was very good. So even if the effects of the wolf were a little dodgy, yeah. I like that moment when it was looking through the window. I thought that was cool too. I like the scare at the
1: end when you think he's dead too. And yep. One last gasp or yeah. scream. yeah.
2: That was good too. Um, And then, yeah, just that last flip frame with those three lovable characters and then the narration comes on and says i love you too i know oh, what a sweet, sweet. little it's ending. A
1: cozy ending
2: maybe cozy one, ending. one of the
1: coziest endings
2: and an abrupt ending that is cozy usually an yeah, abrupt ending abrupt. leaves you cold cold
1: um i know you are on a yes. time crunch so let's blaze yep. through this best kill yes and then we'll pick the next movie
2: best yeah. kill rating and next movie yeah so Best kill for me. It's going to be the greenhouse, uh, bad dad, werewolf coming up through the the boards, and I just love that whole sequence. Yeah, the stalking and killing of the werewolves. I think
1: I'll go. Oh, who, who was it? One of the townsfolk that he ripped off half his face, and it was just a really bad prosthetic. Yeah, I'll do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was yours again? Uh, 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 the 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 bad dad greenhouse kill. Bad dad. <laughs> And then out uh, of 13, r- reminding
1: us that we both uh, – you gave Dead Zone 11.5. I gave it 11.
2: Yeah. I'll give this, uh, say, a nine.
1: I think, yeah, a nine sounds good to me as well. Hey, all I right. I like that.
2: All right. So um,
1: let's pick the next movie.
2: Yeah. So the first one was yours. Second one was mine. That's right. So let. I wonder what it's going to be. Okay.
1: Four and five. Or no. Four and nine are now off the board. You cannot choose. Four, Sorry, Joe nine. Montana.
2: Forty ers You're are off.
1: And my college mascot. All right. <laughs> so what'll it be?
2: Um. Let's go with a two.
1: <sighs> two is. Maximum overdrive.
2: Wow. Yeah. So we're getting our double Dino De Laurentis. On. <laughs> same cinematography The notes that we got. That's the, right. the helpful research oh, we this got. This is
1: perfect because Brantley said there's a real story
2: about that. Ooh, so it's perfect to perfect. All right. Um, yeah, I actually this is a nice little connection between these two now. I agree. Yeah, That's very yeah. exciting. Yeah. All right. We'll be back next week
1: with Maximum Overdrive. Room Room. <laughs> For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with and Rust. Email us at withgourleyandrust at gmail.com, and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Mac Wood and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens
0: and the Candyman's. Candyman's.
1: only from Rustolium